0: to the Exotic Pet Collective. My name is Richard. Thank you so much for joining me today. We've got a couple of very exciting, very special guests, and we'll be talking about venom and the effects on the human body. But first, I do need to uh, give a shout out to the sponsor of today's podcast, and that is tarantulacribs.com. If you're looking for high-end, very clear, strong, secure enclosures for your tarantulas, scorpions, or pretty much any invert or reptile, as long as it's like a small reptile, you should definitely check out tarantulacribs.com. Uh, I actually just moved my Arizona desert scorpion, or not scorpion, uh, uh, centipede into one of their enclosures. They sent me one, uh, one of the largest enclosures. I was going to put a T. blondie in there, but I got to wait a little bit for that substrate to come in. So I figured uh, my, my centipede needs a new enclosure. Let's try it out. And it's been a few days and it has not been able to escape. It's really seemed to settle in so I can vouch for them working for some species of centipedes. So if you want to get yourself some some really cool enclosures, go check out their website, tarantulacribs.com, and use the promo code TCollective10 at checkout to receive 10% off your entire order. Now, our first guest today graduated from St. Louis University with a bachelor's in biology and went on to obtain his medical degree at Kentucky College. He then went back to St. Louis University to finish up his medical training, and he has a special focus in wilderness medicine and has given lectures at St. Louis University regarding arthropod bites. Most recently, he is uh, working as an ER physician and hospital medicine physician for the past three and a half years. You may know him as the owner of Tarantula Cribs, but today he is here to talk about the medical aspects of bites and stings. So please welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Dalal. It's good to see you, buddy. How have things been?
1: Pretty good. You know, staying staying busy as you can imagine, both with uh, work at the hospital and Tarantula Cribs. So it's been good. Yeah,
0: very cool. All right, so our our uh, second guest is a man that actually needs no introduction. I'm sure you're all well aware of him, uh, but I'm going to do it anyways. He is a, a wildlife educator that has traveled the world seeking out venomous animals in their native habitats. Uh, he is the host of the YouTube channel Brave Wilderness with over 18 million subscribers and probably over a billion views at this point. He is an author. He's won an Emmy for his series Breaking Trails, as well as being the host of a man- Animal Planets series Coyote Patter. I can't speak. Coyote Peterson, brave the wild. Please welcome to the podcast, the Knight of Bites and the King of Stings, Coyote Peterson.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here today.
0: Thank you so much for joining. I'm I'm very excited. This is uh, I've been looking forward to this podcast for a while. One of the questions I get the most on my YouTube channel uh, is people asking about bites and stings and you know, what it feels like to be envenomated. Um, you know, we keep, we talk a lot about tarantulas and scorpions and other types of inverts and, uh, exotic pets. I, I feel kind of like we're on two separate spectrums of this. Um, you know, I was, uh, watching some of your videos last night with my kid. He's a, we're both huge fans. And, uh, he was, he, he was kind of giving me a hard time because he really enjoys your content. He's not a big fan of my content. Um, and, Because, I mean, you actually, you're going out into nature. You're finding these spiders, snakes, and scorpions and, you know, kind of finding them in their native habitat and interacting with them and getting bit and stung in some situations uh, where I actually do the opposite. I have, I I stay in my basement hidden here in the foothills of the Appalachians with uh, my spiders, snakes, and scorpions safely in these enclosures. And I make videos about, you know, kind of teaching people how to take care of them to avoid and avoid getting bit or stung. So I don't have any experience or knowledge, uh, about venom. So I'm really excited to get both of you guys on the podcast here to talk about this.
2: Yeah. Well, I certainly, you know, I love your backdrop there. It seems like you are probably in the arachnophobic nightmare experience for anybody that's afraid of spiders with all the cool looking uh, creatures you must have there in the background. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to yeah. share any of my experiences that I've had today and and any stories that you guys feel uh, are, are pertinent. Um, certainly been through some pretty crazy Uh, I should say, I've put myself into some pretty crazy scenarios to experience some of these bites and stings, but um, there's obviously a rhyme and reason behind what it is that we do and why we do it. So you guys let me know whatever you want to know and I'll do my best.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Um, So Dr. Doll, you've been on the podcast before. Uh, It's it's awesome having Uh you back. Um, So do you want to, you want to kind of kick things off with uh, just how you got involved? Involved in- in bites you wilderness mean, are, medicine and, and yeah. yeah.
1: So, I mean, as you know, I've always kind of had, um, a passion for will, wild wilderness, nature, that kind of thing. And so, um, taking one passion with the other medicine and, and nature and putting it together kind of gives you wilderness medicine. And it's a, it's a really cool niche. Um, it's something I can't always do, obviously can't always be out there. Um, but when we do get to do it, it's really fun. And so, um, you know, with regards to spider bites, as you know, most of the time, it's uh, it's not a spider bite. Um, so we see lots of patients always coming in and always complaining of, hey, I got bitten by a spider. They've already made up their mind that it's a spider. But most of the time, spiders are not apt to bite. And so kind of kicking that off, I did want to, I I know that, uh, Coyote, you have not, have you been bitten by a spider? I haven't seen, you, bit you know, handle the black widow. You did not get bit.
2: Yeah, no, there you know, a lot of people have been like, Coyote, will you intentionally get bitten by a tarantula or you can get bitten by a black widow? I mean, getting intentionally bitten by a black widow is not a whole lot to see. So no, I've not been bitten by a black widow. I've never done a bite from a tarantula because as you guys know, tarantulas are not very prone to biting. To really make a tarantula angry enough to bite you, you got to kind of push it in a direction that we just would never really be comfortable with. So while I've been bitten by spiders off camera just inadvertently i've never taken an intentional spider bite at this point
0: yeah yeah it was yeah. something i was uh discussing uh last night he my, my son was asking uh why you had never been bit by a tarantula and i was like he, he would probably have to go far out of his way to get a tarantula to bite him they're they're, they're more prone to run and hide you really got to upset one to get him to strike yeah,
2: it's kind of like for at least in my experiences and again this is just basically with the tarantulas in the southwest and a couple of species in central america in most instances, you're right. They're more apt to moving away from you, maybe flicking off some irritating hairs, or at the very least, they're really just going to kind of sit there and crawl on you. And to really ever kind of push that animal to the point where it feels it needs to bite, we've never been comfortable being like, okay, cool. We're going to just keep pushing on you until you bite somebody. It's it's not going to happen.
1: Right. Yeah. Now, have, have you ever been haired by it? A uh,
2: I have um, actually before, not really bad. Like nothing's ever gotten into my eyes, but I have gotten like a couple of flecks of something into my nose before. And that's just, you know, how easily those hairs can flick off. So right. it's all about anytime I interact with them, being as calm as possible and really letting that spider acclimate to you and let it walk up onto your hand versus like, you know, you don't just come in and pick it up and place it there. You got to gently coax it so that it doesn't feel threatened.
1: Correct. Yeah, and actually, medically, I'd be more concerned about the hairs. I mean, if those hairs get in your eyes, they, they can barb in there. They get in your cornea. You mm-hmm. gotta you sometimes need surgery. Sometimes the eye surgeons will go in there and actually pick them out, and then you need months long of antibiotics and steroids, and it's a disaster. I'd be much more afraid of the hairs getting in my eyes than, than a bite.
2: Yeah, that's actually a really good point. We you know we always tell people in any episodes that we interact with tarantulas to you know it's not something you need to be afraid of don't try to pick it up and handle it admire it from a safe distance and really we tell people to not interact with them not because we're worried about somebody being bitten and envenomated but more so because of those urticating hairs so mm-hmm. that's a really good point
0: yeah i uh right. i have been doing i've been keeping tarantulas and scorpions and stuff for uh, over 20 years at this point and have never been bitten or stung and you know I, I i found a little uh i was you know i think it was the episode where you went to the uh, reptile, uh, sanctuary in Sydney, Australia. And there was a, a gentleman there milking the Sydney funnel web spiders and had said he had never been bitten. And I was like, yes, finally there, you know, you, you can interact with, with snakes and scorpions and maybe not so much snakes, but tarantulas and scorpions and, and avoid getting bitten, especially if, you know, if you're uh, taking the correct steps and, and you're being safe. Um, I did have a question for you though. Uh, I've, I get asked this a lot. There's some Species of tarantulas like uh, Postolatharia metallica, um, you know, a lot of like the the Asian arboreal tarantulas that have very potent venom, and you know, there's there hasn't been a whole lot of scientific study on the effects on the body, uh, but you do have a lot of people, uh, you know, when they're reporting the effects of the bite, they say that they're dealing with um, kind of like the side effects of the venom weeks or months down the road. You know, they're dealing with like muscle spasms and stiff joints and. And issues like that, and I was I was just wondering, Coyote, uh, with all the uh, venom injections that you've had from different species, have you ever have you been dealing with any kind of health issues further on down the road?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I get that asked me quite often, and you know, the one thing I always say to people is there's a big difference between a bite and a sting when it comes to the the venom. The uh, the, the uh, compounds of the venom and of course the venom yield because venom yield is a, a big aspect to play with things and as you guys know for anybody that's watching when an insect stings you that's a defense maneuver for the most part right not necessarily uh Um, the amount of venom where something's trying to kill and eat something else. So I'm getting stung by something like an execution wasp or a bullet ant. You know, that's not the amount of venom that an animal will be looking to kill its potential prey item versus something like the bite of a rattlesnake. Now I've never been bitten by a rattlesnake intentionally or accidentally. Thankfully Um, the most potent intentional bite that I've taken, uh, with venom will be the giant desert centipede. Now that one was extremely painful and I had some pretty severe after effects in the days after the fact, but nothing long-term. Same goes for the Gila monster. I was accidentally bitten by a Gila monster, which is without question, the worst pain I've ever experienced But again, the after effects were nothing beyond a 36-hour level of discomfort. Um, There were no lasting effects from that envenomation. But it's also fair to say that it was a very minimal amount of envenomation. My thumb was in the mouth of that Gila monster for less than a second before I ripped it out. So it's not like it got a hold of me and chewed in a large venom yield. So I think there's probably something that has to do with the amount of venom that somebody takes as to whether or not it's going to have a long-term effect.
1: Right. And you you did get stung multiple times by those bees on, on your face that one time. And I, I did see you got an allergic reaction that time. Mm-hmm. Did, yeah. Did that-
2: when, when we did the bee beard that went wrong, um, I was stung close to 60 times between my face, my neck, my chest, my arms, and my and my hands. So that one was a, a pretty noticeable reaction, the way that my, my face had swollen up. But A lot of the swelling went down within the course of about three to four hours. The next day, my face was puffy and swollen. And within 48 hours, I was pretty much back to normal.
1: Did you have any trouble breathing or anything like that? No,
2: it's certainly something that we were concerned with, considering the number of stings I had taken and how fast that venom took reaction and, and swelled me up. Um, like, Fortunately, though, no, I didn't have any problems breathing. And within a couple of minutes, you kind of know if anaphylactic shock is going to kick in. So we kept a really close eye on me. Obviously, I have epinephrine pens on location every time we film an episode like that. So once we realized, like, okay, This is just now looks ridiculous and we can continue on with the episode. It became pretty lighthearted. But man, the amount of pain that it took to have that many stings and again, unintentional stings with the bee beard Um, is one of the most painful experiences I've had, especially around your face and your eyes and your ears. Very sensitive areas to be getting stung.
0: So there was the, uh, there was an episode where you were comparing the stings between, uh, the uh, Arizona bark scorpion and the giant desert hairy scorpion, I believe.
2: Uh, um, it was actually a striped tailed scorpion and the giant right. desert hair scorpion. Haven't been stung by the bark scorpion based okay. off of so many people's warnings who have been stung by it and the after effects that come from that species.
0: I got you. I apologize. Um, so I actually have like all three of those, um, you know, uh, here in my collection and you know, we, we talk about them a lot on the channel. And, you know, you were, you would discussed in that episode, uh, the relation of between like the size of the pedipalps and the actual, uh, strength of the venom. And I was just wondering if I could, uh, if you guys, if both of y'all could elaborate a little bit on that.
1: Sure. I'll, I'll let you go first, doc. Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, the the general rule of thumb is that the, you know, the larger the pedipalps, the, the less venomous the, the sting would be. Now, you know, most doctors, most physicians aren't going to know the difference between all the scorpions. So that's just the general rule of thumb. I don't know that that is a hard set rule. I don't know if, Coyote, you have more experience with that, but um, just generally, that's what we would go by.
2: Yeah, that's kind of my general rule of thumb as well. And, you know, certainly with the intentional stings that I took from the striped-tailed and the giant desert hairy, you know, the striped-tailed is one of those ones where they do have small pedipals. But the thing is, they're also a very small scorpion. And in doing research and talking to entomologists in the Southwest, you know, they said, look, the the tail is really not that bad. It might be, believe it or not, a little worse, depending on your venom yield, than the giant desert hairy. But it's nothing on par with like a bark scorpion. Now, the other scorpions I've interacted with um, internationally, whether that's in Central America, um, I've seen scorpions in Australia. If I see one with small petapalps, I mean, my immediate reaction is like, I have no idea how potent this venom can be. And scorpions are tough. I mean, you look in uh, basic field guides, they usually only have like a couple of generalized scorpions. And it's so difficult to properly identify species that are in rainforest locations or in areas where you're like, is this a totally newly described species? A lot of times it's really difficult to know exactly what it is you're working with unless it's within the United States. So I am always extra careful when I'm dealing with arachnid species in other countries because you just never know how potent that venom is going to be. And you know, we don't go out of our way, or I don't go out of my way, to ever be intentionally stung by something that I've not done an incredible amount of research on.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the right. uh, the titumus, um, species of scorpions they are found, you know, in Brazil and South America, and they're small. They've got little pinchers. Uh, they're beautiful scorpions, but. They have, they pack one serious punch with their venom, so I mean a lot of people mm-hmm. are very uh, very cautious around them. And uh, it it always kind of struck me, you know, I've got these big impressive scorpions, you know, like the Asian forest scorpion and emperor scorpion, and uh, you know they're, they're 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 massive, but you know they they it's their venom's the effects of the venom is a lot you know similar to like a bee sting, like it, it really doesn't cause much pain at all. It's it's the little ones you got to be got to be careful with. Um, right now, if someone were to get stung or bit. Uh, what is the the first thing they should do uh, as far as like treating that?
1: Uh,
2: Doc, I'll, I'll let you go first. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, um, def- well, it depends on what you're, you know, what you're dealing with. Obviously, if it's just, if it's a, you know, some a palma, it's probably not going to do too much, but you should definitely cleanse the area with some soap and water. Um, and then you can just put pressure on it and, and it should be okay. Most of the time, the immediate reaction is not very painful. There's going to be some mechanical damage, just the size of the fangs might damage some structures, might cause some bleeding, uh, but you're not going to have anything too severe and you should be okay after that. Now, if it's a, a, a litharia or an HMAC or something like that, it's going to be different. Um, initially, you may not have pain at all. Some of the venom actually has some uh, paralyzing effect and numbing effects so of the initial Pain might not be there, and then you'll go into uh, more severe muscle cramps and things like that. At that point is when you may want to seek medical care. Um, There are things that they can do at the hospital, like fluids. Um, You may need a tetanus shot. And later down the line, if there's an infection, you'd want to get antibiotics and that type of thing. Uh, But the initial care, I think, is just general first aid. Uh, wash it off with soap and water, keep the area nice and compressed. And, and that's the best thing to do initially and then contact the healthcare professional. And by the way, nothing, I wouldn't, if you get bit, seek care from a, a doctor that, that, you know, um, don't take advice, medical advice here, obviously.
2: <laughs> that's, that's a really good point. And the one thing I was going to add to everything you says is pretty much spot on. And in our line of work, specifically when we're producing videos and you've got the number of eyeballs on a video and We always say to our audience or whoever it is that's watching, watch the signs of your body. Consider certain bites or stings, potentially medical emergencies, right? If you're bitten by a venomous snake, a copperhead, a water moccasin, a rattlesnake, you know, within the realms of the U.S., let alone one of the species outside of the U.S., it's a medical emergency. When it comes to spiders and scorpions you know, again, it depends where you are and pay attention to the signs of your body. If you feel like your throat is tightening up, if you feel like you're having some sort of an allergic reaction, go seek medical help as quickly as possible. But if you take a bite from a spider and, you know, it's a wolf spider or a tarantula or something that you don't necessarily recognize, pay attention to the bite and, you know, let your body be the one that tells you whether or not you truly need to to seek medical help. But, when in doubt, there's nothing wrong with going to the doctor to at least, at least let a medical professional know what it is that you've been through.
0: Now, yeah. Coyote, as someone that's uh, been bit and stung by, you know, a various amount of, of insects, and, you know, like spiders and scorpions, uh, could you, I, I know that different types of scorpions and, and spiders have different types of uh, venom. Like the chemical makeup of it is uh, drastically different. So it would have different effects on the human body. And uh, I was just wondering if you could maybe, elaborate a little bit or maybe describe the different types of pain that you've experienced from uh, being envenomated? Sure.
2: Well, I mean, that's going to be a really long-winded answer. Um, I'll try to keep it as generalized as possible. Um, again, it goes. there's big difference between bites and stings when it comes to venom yield. So, venom yield is first and foremost uh, the most important factor when it comes to likely the amount of pain that you're going to experience. So, I think everybody's pretty familiar with the fact that I've been st- stung by a bullet ant. Now, I was stung by a single bullet ant versus ever wearing the bullet ant gloves or, you know, shoving my hand into a nest of bullet ants. There's a rhyme and reason as to why we produced that episode the way that we did. Um, and the bullet ant specifically is armed with a Panera toxin that specifically has almost a time-release pain agent to it. Uh, and the purpose of that is more for the protection of an ant's nest. Now, The makeup of an ant society is structured in a variety of ways, and the ants that guard the front of the entrance to their den, right? And most of the times, uh, they build a nest that is compartmentalized into a very large tree. So you might only find a little tiny hole in the ground. Those ants, those soldiers that are guarding the front of the nest are usually more aggressive and usually have a more potent venom. Now, I don't know what the reason is for the potency of that venom. If it's, it's what it is that they're eating, um, if they've been designed a specific way to combine what they're eating together with their venom and their aggression level to be more painful. I just know that we were instructed in the research that we did ahead of time, if you want the truly painful sting from a bullet ant, you got to catch a soldier. The random ones that are foraging around out in the rainforest don't necessarily have as potent of a sting. Now, the Panera toxin that comes from the bullet ant, like I said, almost has like a time-release agent to its pain. And it's extreme right from the get-go, but it lasts and lasts and lasts. And my experience lasted close to 36 hours. But some of the indigenous tribes in Central and South America that will wear the bullet ant gloves, that are taking dozens of stings at a time. They can spend days going through an incredible amount of pain and ultimately end up going into a state of hallucination, which is part of that uh, spiritual ritual that they go through that transitions them into essentially qualifying as a hunter for the tribe. Now, if you look at something like a tarantula hawk, very large wasp, it's going to have a larger venom yield, but it's a very fast acting venom because, as you guys, of course, know, the tarantula hawk uses its sting to paralyze. A tarantula so that it can then drag it down into a burrow and, and essentially start the life cycle again by, by implanting an egg or, or several eggs. I, I'm not sure which it is. Um, but that sting is so incredibly hitting from the get go because that tarantula hawk needs to immediately paralyze that tarantula. So there's going to be a big difference between the potency of a tarantula hawk sting versus something like a honeybee but then then again if you look at honeybees or you look at basic you know hornets or paper wasps you disturb a nest of something like that where you're taking multiple stings all at the same time that compounded effect can sometimes be worse than maybe the single sting of a tarantula hawk so i'll kind of pause it there and see where you want me to go but there is quite a bit of a difference based on the species of insect that is delivering the sting the venom yield, and of course, what that venom is used for specifically.
0: I understand. Yeah, I, I always found it interesting when, uh, you know, people would be describing, uh, you know, in a bite report, especially from different species of tarantulas, just the, the wide variety of how long the pain lasted, if there was swelling, if there was numbness, uh, you know, and it, 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 it always kind of struck me as, uh, as interesting that even just different species in the same genus can have uh, different effects on the body as far as their venom is. Um, but I am curious, doctor, if someone were to be bit or stung, um, like I know here in West Virginia, there's like the hospitals have no antivenom, especially for like a lot of the scorpions and spiders that I have. So if I were to get bit and needed to go to the hospital, um, you know, first off, what would I need to tell them, uh, for them to be able to treat me, but also what, what would they have at their, um, disposal as far as treatment?
1: Right. And, and so if a, a patient's coming into the hospital and, their chief complaint is got bit by a spider. First of all, what we need to do is verify that it was actually a spider bite. So in order to verify it was a spider bite, we have to do a few things. We have to, the person, the patient has to have seen the spider, captured it, seen it bite you, and then have symptoms compatible with the spider bite. If they don't have all of those, it's not a verified spider bite. So 99% of the time it's not, and we need to look for other medical diagnosis. In the case that it is a confirmed spider bite, a lot of it is just symptomatic treatment. So is there any damage to the area from the the fangs? Is there, um, obviously, if you're going into anaphylaxis, then we need to address that. But really, otherwise, it's symptomatic. So pain pain medications, muscle relaxers, fluids, that kind of thing, checking routine lab work, and then kind of going from there. So there's actually not a whole lot. um Obviously, in the case of anaphylaxis, that's a completely different picture and a completely different story. Then we need to utilize life-saving measures to uh, improve breathing and keep circulation up. Uh, but in the case of a regular spider bite, there is no antivenom here. I know in Australia they have it for the, the funnel web, but, you know, not, not here. We don't use any antivenom for uh, recluse or widow bites.
0: So really it's just pain management and, and checking for anaphylactic
1: response. Correct. Yes, exactly. That's pretty much it. And so, and you know, checking for other things, you know, that's the, that's the other big thing.
0: So what would be some of the, the most worrisome symptoms that you would start getting uh, if if you had been envenomated?
1: Yeah. The number one thing is always watching out for anaphylaxis. So anaphylactic symptoms would be um, lip swelling, tongue swelling, difficulty breathing, wheezing, feeling like you're breathing out of a straw, that kind of thing and maybe passing out. And those are all very dangerous for sure. Um, and, and and obviously call the ambulance, call the ER, get there as soon as possible. But other than that, you know, it's just symptomatic fluids, pain control. (laughs)
0: That's a good, that's a good answer. Um, you know, I've always uh, been a little concerned, um, you know, having all these different types of venomous uh, creatures here in my basement. Um, well, Not so much. I'm concerned. I think my my kids' parents are concerned. You know, they're like they're a little uh, hesitant to let kids come over and play. And you know, I I try and assure them that one, everybody is safe and secure in their enclosures. Uh, but two, they 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 don't go out of their way to try and and bite you. Um, you know, the tarantulas not looking to hurt you. Scorpions are running and hiding any chance they get, whether they're in captivity or in the wild. Uh, you know, you really. You got to, you got to be doing something kind of, you know, I don't want to say like a kid would have to open up the enclosure and really be messing with some of these uh, to, to get a chance uh, that they would get struck. What I'm curious about is, uh, can, is there any kind of like um, data on how many people are envenomated to the extent that they would require some kind of hospitalization? I mean, is, is it something that happens yeah. more frequently than maybe we think of, or does it just not happen very much at all? Uh, at least in the United States, it's not very much
1: at all. Um, I don't know if that there's any raw data, but I know that there's you know thousands and thousands of reported bites, and out of that, you know maybe a couple, a few. I've actually never seen anyone hospitalized for a spider bite. I have for a snake bite, but not not a spider bite.
0: Now, coyote so is I, I don't know. Has there uh, in in your history making YouTube videos and uh, you've got you got the the show on Animal Planet? Have you had any close calls where you needed hospitalization or, or at least your crew was considering taking you to the hospital?
2: Uh, not throughout the making of the television show. And again, you know, good production always puts you in the safest scenario as possible. The amount of research that you do, taking your time, trying to be as careful as possible whenever interacting with any animal species. And again, we're constantly working with experts in the field, whether you see them on camera or not, we take every protocol that we possibly can to ensure the safety of myself, the animals, and of course, the crew. The only time that I've ever had to seek medical attention was actually after the giant desert centipede bite. And that was on my own accord after nine hours of excruciating pain to the point, when we say excruciating, it's like you think that it might be better to cut off your arm because it might be less painful to be missing an appendage than it is to continue dealing with the pain of the venom. Uh, And I essentially went to an emergency center sort of made up a clever story for what happened to me. So it didn't seem like I intentionally got myself bitten by a centipede. Um, And, you know, they basically prescribed me like a super strength uh, anvil, so to speak, just basic painkillers to say, look, this is going to take the edge off. The swelling will probably go down within, you know, the next 24 to 48 hours and you'll be fine. And, you know, people don't know a whole lot about centipede bites because there aren't that many people getting bitten by giant desert centipedes. So my education in the subject matter, ultimately ended up being a pretty cool, like, long-term test that I could probably write down or share with somebody that wanted to do a journal entry someday. Um, But the biggest discomfort actually came in the following two weeks with the amount of itching that came from the bite. Um, I ended up having this almost like a couple of bb-sized lumps in my arm uh kind of where the uh fangs or the the pinchers went into my arm and i don't know if that was like the destruction of cells underneath the skin but i would have several times throughout the day where my arm would just like flare up with this uncontrollable itch and it would swell back up and then after i stopped messing with it you know about 45 minutes later it would swell back down and this happened consistently Day on and day off for about two weeks after the centipede bite. So, um, you know, I don't know what exactly caused that from a medical stance, but it certainly was uh, a discomfort to deal with. But I'd rather be itching than be
0: hurting. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Yeah,
1: and and you're exactly right. We don't have a lot of experience with with centipedes, um, and so I, I was just reviewing my emergency medicine textbook, and there's not even a, really a section on it. So, you know, we we don't have experience. So maybe one day someone will reach out to you for a case report.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so is, is the, the fact that there's not a whole lot of um, medical information on these because they just haven't been studied? Like I know um, a lot of species of tarantula are, are just being discovered, you know, right now, you know, being described. Um, so maybe there's not a whole lot of information out on those species, but species that have been around for, you know, decades, at least, you know, scientifically described, when you look uh, for medical information on them, uh, it, it's usually very lacking. Is that just because there hasn't been uh, funded research into those species, or is it just because there hasn't been any kind of interaction with humans where they're getting bit?
1: Yeah, so I think it's two parts to it. Um, one part is that there there's not a lot of funding. There's not a lot of money to be made, honestly, with creating medications for these bites. There's not a lot of bites happening, and even if they do happen, most of the time they're not life threatening at all. And so Pharmaceutical companies aren't after them to really study them, um, and then the, the the second whole issue is that we uh, when we do study we, we're actually studying the venom for um, therapeutic reasons and and not necessarily um, trying to discover any, any treatments or cures just because the symptoms aren't aren't that bad and so um, there are actually a lot of really cool studies out there studying the components of the venom. I know we were kind of talking about the um, Venom load—the amount of venom—and then the different components. And so, there's actually one study that shows that one of the reasons the post-litheria venom may be more toxic is it contains an enzyme called uh, hyaluronidase, and that kind of breaks down your connective tissue, the tissue around your cells, and that allows the more uh, potent parts of the venom to go deeper, deeper, and in, and that um, can cause a longer-lasting reaction. And then the venom load is just, is a, is a lot more with those species, so that would explain why the venom is, is so much, but again, it doesn't have, the research doesn't have to do uh, with therapeutics. It has more to do with um, trying to find out why the venoms are uh, toxic the way they are and maybe trying to find some therapeutics for pain or something like that.
0: Yeah. I remember reading an article about um, some, uh, some medical research that was going on. I, th- I believe it was the death stalker scorpions venom. It had some uh, medicinal properties and it, it, they were saying that uh, it's worth, it's like, worth 10 times its weight in gold or something like that you know they're like millions oh, wow. of dollars uh, for a gallon yeah. of, that, of that venom um but you know coyote i was watching this uh one of your videos uh where you had got stung by the tarantula hawk wasp and you were you were you were describing the pain in the arm uh you were you're pretty much saying your arm was paralyzed now when when you were feeling that uh that kind of paralytic uh, in your in your uh, you know kind of coursing through your body was it accompanied with pain or was it completely numb in that area?
2: Oh, no, it was extreme pain. I mean, and, you know, it's funny to look back at the execu- or the uh, the tarantula hawk sting. It was one of my earlier big wasp stings or big potent stings when we started the insect sting pain index um, sort of climb. And, I mean, the, the best way I could liken it is just, I mean, it's like a lightning bolt of pain. And almost if you've ever been shocked or had, um, you know, like a TENS unit that you use on your muscles where like kind of like seizes things up. That's kind of the experience that was happening in my forearm and uh, essentially like contracting up into my hand and fingers that like almost put my arm in a state of paralysis. And you know, the effects of the venom having that on me, you know, look, I mean, I would assimilate that to the same thing that happens with a tarantula. Obviously the tarantula hawk's venom is enough to put a, a tarantula in a state of paralysis for weeks, if not months. So the small effect that it has on a human is noticeable within, you know, a five to 10 minute window. After that, I wasn't experiencing that sort of muscle contraction, but it's the pain that's kind of, um, that comes along with it of course you've got a heightened sense of adrenaline and fear and anxiety that's all happening at the same time because you don't know what your body's going through mentally as you're experiencing this pain and this sort of paralysis so I think it's a combination of everything together that makes that experience so traumatic and um, you know while I certainly put myself into that situation I can only imagine what it would be like if you were a kid, playing along the edge of your swimming pool and a tarantula hawk comes down to get a drink and you inadvertently find yourself getting stung i mean it's just something that would it's the, the cause of nightmares for the most part so but again the tarantula hawk is something that has no interest in ever interacting with a human which is you know kind of to your point doc that there's not really any antivenoms for these things out there because while they have a big stinger it may be incredibly painful it's not going to kill you. You're going to go through the experience. And at the end of the day, you're probably going to be completely fine. There's I think zero cases of people having any sort of truly long-term negative reaction from the sting of a tarantula Hawk, let alone the fact that I argue to say there's probably less than 10 people a year that get stung by a tarantula Hawk. So um, there's no reason for people to really be afraid of them.
0: Now, Do you have any tips um, on how to kind of get through that type of pain? Like uh, anything that you've got, like, uh, you know, like uh what am I trying to say? <laughs> like mindfulness kind of, uh, you know, like, uh, kind of watching your breath or, I mean, is, is there anything mentally that you can do, uh, to kind of ease the pain a little bit or, or at least kind of help you get through that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, it's certainly easier said than done, certainly for anybody that were to be stung by something and not be able to control their, their mental state. I mean, one thing I often to say to people is as I went on with taking stings, like the tarantula hawk, I was far less prepared for the pain and how my body would react as compared to something like the Japanese giant hornet. Now, the Japanese giant hornet was far more painful than the tarantula hawk. Almost where like, I'd rather take a couple tarantula hawk stings than another single giant hornet sting again. But my mind and my body were capable of balancing that pain a little bit better. So, it does have to do with breathing technique it does have to do with putting your mind in a place where it's like okay you're going through this massive amount of discomfort but as long as anaphylaxis is not setting in you're going to get through this just embrace the pain you almost have to put yourself in a state of meditation to get through it and eventually it does dissipate but with something like the giant desert centipede for example no meditating in the world is going to alleviate the pain that you're going through, which is why I eventually went to uh, seek medical attention after nine hours of like, excruciating pain. Like, you know, you've a soup can, it hurts, but it eventually starts to die down. It's a lot different with venoms. And in some instances, those venoms will keep delivering their punch. Uh, but with a tarantula hawk, it comes and it goes rather quickly.
0: Yeah, that's something that I've, uh, you know, I, I noticed myself. I mean, not not so much about, uh, from a bite or a sting, but anytime I've been through pain, just kind of uh, you know using some breathing techniques, uh, being mindful of the pain and kind of aware of it, uh, mm-hmm. you, you really kind of like get to know uh, or experience that you know it, it's it's not just a single pain, you know, it, it's not it's not one event, you know, it's coming in waves and and it'll kind of dissipate and then come back. So I mean, I, I always wondered, you know, when you were envenomated, if if there was uh, any kind of <laughs> like mental tricks that you were using to, to kind of get through that. Cause I can only imagine how painful that would be.
2: Yeah. A lot of it honestly kind of turns into a blur, especially when we're in the midst of filming an episode, that's always the hardest part is to go through the sting, then recompose myself and be like, okay, now you've got to explain to the audience what it is that you're feeling and going through while still composing fluid sentences to the best of your ability and having it make sense I don't swear in any of the episodes, which I know a lot of people call out and certainly very easy to drop curse words when you're in that sort of pain. But then again, it doesn't necessarily make it family or brand friendly. So, um, you know, there's, there's a method to the madness and a a certain stylistic approach that we've taken to all of it, but, um, putting yourself in the right mental spot is definitely a big piece of it.
0: Now with, um, everything that you've kind of been through, um, at least the, the videos that I, you know, I've watched over the years probably the most stressful one was the uh the episode with the bullet ants where you were you were actually trying to to capture those. Mm-hmm. Um you know, did you get any kind of training beforehand? Uh you know, like did did the locals kind of help you uh decide like figure out exactly how to spot their uh you know their hills their you know or how how exactly did all that go down? Did you just go out there and, and try to find them or Did you have like local guides or anybody kind of helping you out?
2: That's a good question. So bullet ants are kind of a right place, right time sort of thing. You can't just wander off into the rainforest and ever look for anything and be like, yep, you're going to find it. You have to have an idea of where a specific species might be. So we did work with local guides who um, had spots that they knew they had seen bullet ant nests in the past. But these aren't people that are going out looking for bullet ants so that they can film an episode on somebody getting stung. So um, we were given directives as to the types of trees to look for where they had been seen in the past. Uh, we actually, what you didn't see on cameras, the, the first spot that we checked, we actually struck out the nest that had been there previously. Was abandoned, And for what reason, we don't know. I mean, people don't know a ton about bullet ants or why their society moves from one spot to another. Um, but we did eventually find a pretty large functioning nest. And when we were instructed on how to catch it, we were told to look for the hole in the ground more primarily because... You don't want to accidentally walk up to the tree and be standing on the entry, the ground entry point to the mound because those ants are going to come up your legs and then you're going to be in all sorts of trouble. So we very carefully investigated where the entry point was. We knew that those were going to be the most potent ants. And then the process, they're like, just stick a stick in there. The ants are going to attack a stick and grab onto it. They bite out with their mandibles. They start trying to sting and they're like. You won't have any problem catching them once, once you find one. But certainly from the filmmaking aspect, helping to build up that intensity, getting an ant safely away from the nest and out into an area where we could safely encapsulate it and set up that sting. You know, for doing it for the first time, I mean, what you see in the episode is exactly how it went down. And it's a little chaotic and it was definitely riddled with anxiety. But we were honestly more excited than anything that we had found ants and that we were going to be able to pull off the episode.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite things is seeing how excited you get at capturing it, uh, you know, whether it's a, a wasp or and and then immediately that kind of change in mindset, like, well, I caught it, now I got to get, I get it stung.
2: <laughs> well, you know, and the thing is, you know, people that are not looking for certain things always end up stumbling upon them inadvertently because they have no interest in wasps or lizards or snakes. So you always hear these amazing stories, yeah, I, I saw You know, 20 foot boa constrictor. And I'm like, if I could find a 20 foot boa constrictor, it would be the greatest thing ever. But, you know, it's also people that aren't looking for the animals because you'd be surprised how hard it is to find some of these species. It's not like you just walk into a backyard and there's magically a bullet ant nest. You know where we were to film those ants specifically. We were pretty deep into the rainforest, but even the reserve that we were on is pretty far separated from typical society. So, um, you know, it's never easy to find these things, but that doesn't mean that people won't inadvertently run into them. And our big thing that we tell people at the end of the day is just leave it alone. Like none of these animals have any interest in interacting with you and they're not going to bite or sting you if you just back up. You know, if you're going to go after something, be like, oh man, a tarantula hawk, I'm going to try to swat it and kill it. Well, of course, the thing's going to defend itself and you might end up getting stung in the long run. So if you just leave it alone, you're going to be totally fine.
1: Yeah, that, that reminds me of the episode you did in Costa Rica where the fer de lance was right behind you and you were right on top of it. But it did not, you know, it didn't touch you. You got, I don't know, I guess yeah. you know, <laughs>
2: that was a lucky one that that is when people say, what are some of your closest calls? You know, it's not necessarily the moments with bears or tiger sharks. That is honestly one of the closest calls I've ever had because what people don't realize is that if you're bitten by a fertilize on your hand or your foot, it is going to be bad. There's a good chance you're going to lose that appendage just because of how necrotic that, that venom is. But if you're bitten, like crouching down and you're bit on your thigh, or if I had gotten tagged near like a vital organ, like my kidney, like where that snake was lined up and how far they could strike, if it had lunged out and bit me near my kidney likely would have been impossible to save my life at that point because it's just the kind of spot that you don't think of being bitten. you know if, if venom gets close to a major organ or a collection of organs, especially something like your kidneys, oh man, it is it is bad news and even a small that wasn't even a big fertilance. That one was like maybe two and a half feet long, but it doesn't matter if it's a fertilance this big or one that's four feet long. that venom is incredibly potent.
0: Is there any correlation between the amount of venom? Uh, you know, a snake or uh, pretty much anything that's venomous will inject. I guess what I'm trying to say, like, uh, if, if it's a baby, if it's a small one, it am I correct in assuming that it has the same amount of venom as a full adult? Or uh, does it sometimes, I mean, how does that, how does that all kind of uh, work out?
2: Well, doc, do you, do you want to answer a side of that? I have an answer. I don't know if you have one too. Uh,
1: um, so I, as far in terms of tarantulas and, and all that, I, I have read that um, a bigger pokey, a will be, more have a more venom an increased venom load compared to a spiderling and so spiderlings venom won't last nearly as long as an adult in terms of snakes i know sometimes snakes can deliver um, dry bites and all that but i don't you know i'm not herpetologist i don't know in terms of if it depends on the size and all that maybe coyote does
2: yeah sure so when it comes to insects and arachnids the one thing that i always say to people as well is You know, the venom gland has a buildup of venom, right? So if you've gotten stung by something, it's not necessarily capable of stinging you again and again and again with the same amount of venom. Like once that venom sac drains out, it needs time before it can produce more venom. Same thing goes for snakes. And the, the misnomer that a baby snake has a less potent venom than an adult is not true. Like, for example, let's use the Fertilance. A baby Fertilance has just as potent a bite as an adult, but yes, there is a difference in venom yield because a larger snake just just physically is going to have larger venom glands. So a four-foot Fertilance has the ability to inject a massive amount of venom as compared to a baby one. But the components can be very similar and can be equally as toxic. Now, when you've got a large snake, it's obviously eating bigger prey. So, a bigger venom yield, a more toxic venom is going to be needed to take down a larger prey item. A baby lance is eating small geckos, little frogs, maybe little invertebrates, um, but a large one's going to be eating, you know, uh, jungle rodents or even possibly birds if they can can manage to get a strike on one. So uh, venom yield does vary based on the size of an animal, or I should say based on its the, the point in where it's life, where it's at, baby versus adult, juvenile in between. But the venom yield, um, or the toxicity to the venom, rather, is equally as potent and equally as dangerous. We actually were just in Costa Rica, and we filmed with a baby lance. I've never seen one before. It was this big. And we treated it just as equal as the three and a half foot fertilance that we had filmed with a couple of days previous. So if it's a venomous snake, you gotta treat it with respect.
0: Now you mentioned in uh, one of your shows that when you were a child you got bit by a, a giant water bug. Um Yes. The, okay, I make sure I, I had the the species correct. And and then you you re kind of reenacted that in one of your videos, uh where you, you had one bite you on the toe. Now mm-hmm. What, how did that pain compare? Because uh, I'm sure it was a different species. I believe that one was in Costa Rica, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So was it was it a, a, a more painful bite, or was it essentially pretty much the same?
2: So giant water bug, great one to bring up because that is technically a bite, not a sting. A lot of people are like, "Oh, it's a water bug. It's a bug. A bug must sting and must not bite." the the giant water bug has a rostrum that's almost like um you know those um machines that they use to put down cattle the bolt things that they'll put in the center of the head it's like boom just shoots a thing in that's what the rostrum of the giant water bug does so it's like having a hole punched in you and it's a very potent very effective venom i mean the giant water bug can kill very large prey items baby turtles baby snakes frogs. So it's pretty crazy for a bug to be able to eat something like that. But it's the components of its venom that are so potent in the way that it essentially breaks down the insides of its victim so that the water bug can then almost drink it up like a disgusting slushy. When I was bitten as a kid, I didn't know anything about giant water bugs. And as I'm wading through swamps trying to catch turtles to be bitten by something like that, obviously at a young age, experiencing an excruciating pain like that. You have no idea what's going on. So it's much more traumatic, but remembering that or however played out in my mind as a kid and then recreating it as an adult. And of course, their nickname being toe biters, we were like, well, we, we got to get you bitten on your big toe. Um, it was definitely a nerve wracking scenario to go through. And I would say I was more nervous to be bitten by the giant water bug than I was many of the stings that I took just because I know that rostrum has a, a larger gauge than a stinger. And it's going to put a different kind of venom in me as compared to a bullet ant or a tarantula hawk.
0: Yeah, that one, that one looked quite painful. Um, and it, it made me wonder, you know, How did this all begin? Like, where where did you get the idea or the desire to film yourself uh, reacting to different bites and stings?
2: You know, it's so funny how that came about and, and how that has become so wildly successful, which certainly I'm grateful that the audience seems to love watching me rolling around on the ground in agonizing pain. And they're hopefully learning something at the end of the day. But any good wildlife presenter, don't care who you are, whether you've made it in this industry or you haven't. All of the best people are good at not being bitten and stung by things, because if you're constantly getting chopped, chomped inadvertently, you're obviously not really good at interacting with animals. So the fact that we found this fascination for the audience where the intentional stuff was getting a lot of intention or a lot of attention um, was just a really interesting conundrum. And we were like, well, I guess we could play into this. And if it's a way to draw on the audience and educate them about things that they were likely very afraid of and to show to them the effort that I have to go through just to get close to these things, let alone catch them and sort of induce a sting, maybe will help lessen people's fears about them. At the very least, they're going to get some wild entertainment out of it. But if they can absorb some of the education that we felt, it was a great way to put the spotlight on some creatures that really people glaze over. I mean, can you really look back at the past wildlife presenters like Steve Irwin, Jeff Corwin, Jack Hanna, Marty Stauffer, have any of them ever stopped to really look at the bugs that exist in the world, let alone the fact that you know we've got a video out there, or I mean, many videos with all these bugs. I'm using the bullet ant specifically and to say that bullet ant video has over 50 million views. Did anybody ever imagine a bullet ant would be that much of a celebrity in today's entertainment space? Probably not. But it's pretty cool to have told the story of that species specifically and all the stinging or biting creatures that I've interacted with because it puts a spotlight on something a little different than your typical lions and tigers and rhinos and bears and so on.
0: Yeah. I mean, I am personally very fascinated with the invert world. Um, you Mm -hmm. know, I, I enjoy videos about, you know, snakes and and alligators and the large stuff. Uh, but it's, it's the inverts and the arthropods that are uh, fascinating to me because they're so alien and they're so unlike a lot of the other species on our planet. Um, you know, there was, there, there was this one video um, that you were talking about. Uh, I, I believe it was the Sydney funnel web one, um, and, and the, they were discussing different uh, ways of milking. Uh, what, I guess what was it? They were they're milking the fangs of the Sydney funnel web spider. Uh, it was kind of hard in the video to see exactly how much venom was pulled off of that. Uh, but I mean, are, were you just talking about uh, you know just a few drops of venom that came from that experience, or? Was there a little bit more that you just couldn't really really see?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I've done this twice. I did this for YouTube, and I also did it for the Animal Planet series. Uh, it's important to note that there's a difference between the male and the female's venom. The female venom, while it does have a, a bit of value, uh, they don't actually make the anti-venom from the females. It's only the male's venom, and the males are far more aggressive than the female's. But when it comes to spider aggression, uh, the Sydney Funnel Web is arguably, at least in my experience and what anybody in Australia will tell you, the most aggressive spider species in the world. And it is without question the most dangerous. I know we've had people write back to us be like, Sydney Funnel Web isn't the most dangerous spider in the world. Look, I've worked with the experts in Australia that work with the Sydney Funnel Web spider, and they say without question, it is the most dangerous spider species in the world. Um, But when it came to the milking, uh, you don't see a lot of the venom, uh, small little droplets. And the way that they suck it up into the pipette, there's an airflow that's happening that's actually helping the pipette suck the venom in. And it's once that venom dries and is crystallized that they then are able to get it out using some sort of a reagent. Um, and this all happens after the fact. We didn't show any of this on camera. But it is very, very tiny drops of venom, which is why they have to milk so many spiders on a yearly basis. And what's cool about the Australian reptile park is they're actually breeding Sydney funnel web spiders. There, there's a whole lot that's going on behind the scenes that you don't necessarily see in the episodes. Where they have these giant shipping containers that are are reorganized to be these shelves. Richard, you'd absolutely love it. Um, all of these shelves. Of Sydney funnel web spiders that Kane uh, Christensen, who I worked with to, to make those episodes, he's milking these things daily. And they've got an entire, like, incredibly well thought out process for how they move through the spiders and then cycle back. And it's, it's a process to essentially create enough anti venom every year to save the, you know, handful of people that are bitten. And more people are bitten by Sydney funnel web spiders than probably any other spider species specifically because the sydney funnel web spiders are in areas of human habitation and they do come into houses and they are aggressive like you could walk past the sydney funnel web spider it will jump out and try to bite you why i don't know but i have witnessed the aggression of this species and it's pretty intimidating
0: and everything seems to be a little more intimidating in australia you know, I, get, I get a lot of comments and messages from people wanting me to make videos on this Sydney funnel web spider, asking if I have one in my collection. And it's like, no, I have, I have no interest in, in in bringing that into my house. Uh, yeah, they, they seem pretty intimidating. You know, but yeah. I got into tarantulas and scorpions uh, because I was afraid of them. Um, you know, I was 18 years old, freshman in college, and, you know, just scared to death of spiders. And kind of got talked into uh, getting a pet tarantula as a way of kind of overcoming my fear. You know, the more I learned about it, the less afraid I became. I was wondering if you're in, if in your in your experience uh, getting bit by these or stung uh, by these creatures out in the wild, does that kind of help you overcome any fear or anxiety? uh, You know, if you were to come across them again in the future. Or does it, does it kind of heighten it?
2: That's a great question. I mean, you know, it's it's fair to say that I, I don't have fears of, of any of these animals. Um, it's why I'm so comfortable interacting with them. I'm honestly more afraid of environmental challenges sometimes than I am the animals themselves. And by environmental challenges, I mean, sudden shifts in weather, possibly falling off of cliffs, you know, the, those sorts of uh, occupational hazards. But when it comes to the animals themselves, I think one of our biggest goals is to always create scenarios where we're really encouraging the audience to take a deeper look at certain species. And while you may be afraid of it, you know, just the therapy of watching it on camera through the safety of your phone or computer or television screen can really help you overcome things. Um, we actually have an episode coming out next month that we just filmed in Costa Rica. It's a new sort of experiment that we're working with. You know, you never know how you're going to be able to create a hit viral video. Um, but we came up with this concept of of really working within the realm of phobias specifically and putting me into a scenario where What would your worst case phobia be? And in this particular instance, we went first with arachnophobia and we created something that we call the spider helmet, which is this clear plastic container that went over my head, rests on top of my shoulders, and inside we add 20 giant golden orb weaver spiders. Now, as you guys know, the giant golden orb weaver is not a small spider. It's a giant for a reason. They're absolutely massive. And to have 20 of these things walking around on my head and my face and my eyes is certainly a nerve-wracking experience for myself. Anybody that knows spiders knows that it's not necessarily an aggressive species and it does not have a very potent venom. But for people that are afraid of spiders, that really doesn't matter. So this episode is really directing at directed at helping people maybe overcome their fear of spiders by watching you go through the scenario. I mean, is it going to be a viral hit? We don't know until it comes out. But if this works and the helmet concept catches on with the audience, we've got a handful of other yeah. things in the works that could be pretty entertaining.
0: Uh, I definitely look forward to seeing that. That sounds that sounds pretty yeah, interesting.
2: It's, it's a good one. Trust me.
0: <laughs> I mean, even with all of the, the spiders and scorpions I have, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I think that would freak me out too much. You know, uh, I I know you got to go here in a few moments. Um, Just real quick, I I wanted to ask of all the places that you've been, you know, the Sonoran Desert, Costa Rica, Australia, uh, do you have a favorite kind of environment that you you always enjoy going back to and exploring?
2: Well, my favorite place that I've filmed this far has definitely been Alaska in the, the grand scheme of things. But what's crazy about that is that Alaska really doesn't have any of the creepy crawly creatures that we so commonly feature on the Brave Wilderness channel. If they just had a bunch more herps and insects and arachnids, it would probably be a location we visited constantly. Um, But when it comes to my favorite place to to find the, just the biggest selection of, of, you know, the true creepy crawly creatures, Central America is just one of the best. Every time I visit Costa Rica, I'm finding something that I didn't expect to see. Um, You know, I've been to Australia, they've got just an unbelievable collection of, of animals there as well. So, it all depends really what it is that you're after. And it's tough for me to ever say that one place is specifically my favorite because every time I go back to a location, I learned something the previous time. And when I return, I'm learning something new and coming up with or seeing a, a different species. So that's a cool thing about the animal kingdom. It, it's the gift that just keeps on giving and you never know what you're going to find next.
0: That's very cool. Um well, I wanted to thank you. I know you, you got to go. So uh, I appreciate you being willing to come on the podcast and kind of share yeah. your experiences with us. I know a lot of people have been very interested in just, you know, how, how venom affects, you know, the human body. Um, doctor, did you have anything you wanted to say before uh, Coyote takes off?
1: No, thank you so much for joining us. It was, we, you know, we enjoy it. We, we look forward to your next episodes for sure.
2: Very cool. Well, no, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Happy to come back at any time to to talk Venom. And if it works out, the audience likes it. We've got plenty of other cool helmet ideas in the
0: works. All right. That's awesome. I look forward to awesome. seeing that. All right. Well, it was good to meet you. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again in the future. I look forward to that video.
2: Sounds great, guys. Thanks. Have a great day.
0: You too. Thank you. Um, that, was, that was amazing.
1: Yeah. That's cool.
0: So, so, wow. (laughs) I don't know about you, but, uh, I was, I was a little nervous and I'm I'm not sure why. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) For sure.
1: I mean, it was nice to have him on for sure.
0: Definitely. Um, so that was very cool. And, and you set that up and I just, I wanted to to thank you profusely for that. That was very cool. Um, I, I had like my whole list of questions here, but you know, he, he would start talking and in my mind. I would be focusing on what he was saying and forget uh, about,
1: that <laughs> well, I got to follow this. Song. I kind of felt the same way. It's like, <laughs> you ask a good question. And I felt I was getting distracted and
0: uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was funny. It, it's, it, I don't think my son believed that this was actually going to happen. I was, oh. I was telling him, uh, I was, he was like, it's not the same Coyote Peterson. Who is it? And I'm like, no, it, really, it's this guy right here. no. He's like, is this actually going to be online where, uh, where we can watch it? Or is this just like, I'm like, no, it, it'll be, you can see it. You can listen to the podcast. It'll be, it'll be for real. That's
1: awesome.
0: So yeah, uh, I w- hey, he's at school right now. I would have, uh, I would have had him come on and say hi, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, yeah that, that's how it goes. Um, but you, you know, you just kind of getting back to venom, um, that as a um, doctor, have you ever been bitten or stung before? Have you ever experienced anything like coyotes been through?
1: No, me personally, I have not been, yeah. you no, know, I've never been. I mean, you know, I have tarantulas and scorpions and all that, but no, I've never been bitten. Um, never been haired. I mean, I'm pretty cautious with, with them, I, I, but yeah, never been bitten, thankfully. Um,
0: yeah. So, you know, not too big. Yeah, of a yeah. that's one of the, that's one the things that. I enjoy about, you know, watching his videos is, you know, because tarantulas and scorpions and centipedes are so, hesitant to to bite especially you know i mean if you're doing what you should be doing in the hobby you know you're not gonna have to worry about really getting bit by a tarantula you know if you're being mindful Mm -hmm. and careful it's just it's not something that's that's typically going to happen um so it's interesting to to actually have some kind of resource where you can see what the effects of that venom would be on the human body uh it's you know i know that in some in some circles his content is a little controversial. You know, I know, some, some people in the tarantula hobby and exotic pet hobby, um, they're really, it's almost like, I don't want to offend anyone. Um, but you know, there are people out there that just want to kind of ignore the dangerous aspect of exotic pets. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, if we don't talk about it, it, it's not real. Um, you know, it, like everything is safe. There's, there's no level of danger to to any of these venomous creatures. Um, you know, where, where I think, you know, it's better to, to talk about that stuff, not just pretend like it doesn't exist because it may give a shine, shine a bad light on something. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 enjoy what he does and I, I really enjoy his videos and just the amount of, you know, you kind of, you're watching his videos and you see that the production value of them, just the way that the, they're, they're edited and structured mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah, is really good. good. Um, you know, it just, just the way it kind of hooks yeah. you in. It's, it's some, some very uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. They do a great job. And I mean, I, I, I'd like to reiterate that the fact that he's been through all these bites and stings and all that, and he's, you know, he's okay. He's okay, and it takes a lot for them to actually bite you. I think, I think sometimes people think that um, either that there's some people that obviously think that every spider's going to bite you, and then there's some people that think that they're all good and nothing's going to happen. And yeah. I, and I mean, it's there's no hard fast rule. Um, you know, if you're a little kid or you're an elderly person, you have other medical problems and an HMAC bites you, that's going to be bad. Um, yeah. you're, you're going to suffer if it's your own young, healthy person is going to suck for 14 days to three weeks. Um, but you'll, you'll probably be okay. You're going to yeah. have pain. I was actually reading one report where, uh, there was a 19 year old kid that got, uh, bit by an HMAC and he had so much muscle rigidity that they went to give him a shot. Of pain medication and and the muscles were so rigid they couldn't even get the the shot in there.
0: That oh, pretty well, go that's pretty crazy.
1: impressive. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I was reading on the case reports uh, before this podcast was it was a, a lot of males who were drunk that got ended up getting bit and you know that just reiterates that there's probably people messing with the,
0: the animals. Yeah, I can so. I can totally relate to that. Uh, the closest I've ever come to being bit was uh, by a Grammostola rosea. Uh, I was like. Uh-huh. 20 21 somewhere around that we'll say i'm 21 uh for legal reasons <laughs> and uh was had a little bit of a house party had some friends over we had been drinking uh, and partying and uh you know he, he, my my grandmother used to always say like well, one one boy has uh has a brain two boys have half a brain three or more have no brains at all you know and there's probably like seven or eight of us there at the house so <laughs> there, there, there wasn't a brain cell among us and uh it, 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 I always found it interesting that some of you know, I'm hanging out with these rough and tumble uh, rough and tumble. It doesn't sound tough at all, but hanging out with like, you know, some tough dudes and uh, you know, they're at my house and scared to death of the sweet, cute little spider that I had sitting on my table. Um, So, you know, trying to impress or show off or whatever. I had taken the lid off the enclosure and was trying to uh, you know, show the tarantula's fangs, get it to like, kind of go into a threat pose. Like I said, that it was not a good idea. I was, I was definitely under the influence and, you know, just trying to show off and, and being an idiot like, like we are when right. we're young. And it just kind of, as a testament to how docile a lot of tarantula species are, it, it wasn't, it wasn't doing anything, you know, it was kind of like, just kept walking away from me. Had a little paintbrush yeah. or something like that. And I, I finally, crossed the line, you know, after probably like five minutes of, uh, of really pestering this thing, it finally reared up and, you know, and I kept kind of poking it a little bit and it, and inevitably you know kind of just lunged at me and started crawling yeah. up the the paintbrush towards my hand and i i panicked <laughs> like oh my gosh <laughs> had i uh you know not dropped that uh paintbrush when i did there's a pretty good chance it would have got my fingers you know uh. so it was gonna those it, that obviously blew up in my face but it, it kind of like gave me a, a healthy respect for tarantulas you know like if right. i don't bother them they're not going to be bothering me you know if, right. if i'm poking and prodding them then you know i'm putting myself in that position so I could definitely see uh drunk young men uh getting <laughs> uh, Yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> Especially was partying lot, yeah. in the desert or something.
1: For sure. One of the other interesting uh case reports that I came across was or not a case report, but a study that I came across was a uh, they were studying the different effects of um they studied Postalitharea regalis, uh darlini and then one of the palma species and they found that the uh the amount of venom it took to kill a cricket so the most lethal was the um the postletheria the second was actually the bracket helma and they were pretty close and the third was the or darlini and it turned out that the the darlini venom was designed to actually just paralyze the prey and it didn't actually kill him so if you if it injected the cricket 24 hours later the cricket would be fine and so that kind of plays into the fact that there's different components to the venom and how it affects the cricket is not how it's going to affect us necessarily. So they're thinking that the amount of enzymes in the venom that can break down tissue relates to how, uh, how bad it is for humans. So, you know, there's a lot more studying to do, but I don't think that they're ever going to come up with like treatments because it doesn't really kill anyone. And so there's not a big incentive to do that.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of the, the consequences of your actions and you're going to have to go through that pain. <laughs> it's not right. going to kill you. it just right, make right. you stronger. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's one of the things about venom that I, I find so fascinating is that some venom seems to be designed, uh, to kill something, you know, uh, as quickly mm-hmm. as possible while others are more built towards paralyzing. Uh, you see that right. a lot with, uh, like the wasps. Um, he was talking about, uh, right, Coyote right. was talking about in some of his videos that they don't kill. They just paralyze the tarantula or they, they paralyze the cicada, uh, for weeks, uh, cause they're, they're dragging that animal down into their burrow and laying eggs on it. And the larvae are, are eating them alive. And I mean, it's brutal. It's a brutal existence. Right. Um, but it, it, it's interesting how, uh, depending on what the venom is being used for nature has kind of honed it and in, into these specific, uh, use cases, I guess you could say. Uh, and then yeah. just the yeah. medical, uh, research that's being done on some of these venoms, I find fascinating. Like especially when I'm making yeah. uh, videos for uh, species-specific care and husbandry, you know, mm-hmm. I I doing some research online and I come across these reports. Um, you know, uh, I believe it. Like I've seen some. I think it was scorpion venom, possibly yeah. that was uh, being researched for male impotence, like to kind of cure mm-hmm. that. I've seen uh, some as cures for cancer, treatments for cancer. Uh, there's just right. all kinds of medicinal. Uh, properties yeah. into some of these. Yeah.
1: For example, I think the 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 Trinidad Chevron, the Cambridge, um, that one has a, a component of the venom that numbs. And I think they may be, or at least they were looking at some treatments for neuropathic pain. And so I'm not involved in any research like that or anything like that. And I'm not an arachnologist, more of, I'm just more on the clinical side. But it is very interesting. Yeah. I know that the, actually pharmaceutical companies will go into like the rainforest and and search for these um, spiders and bugs and that kind of thing to actually look for the components. So it's pretty cool. We'll see what happens.
0: Now uh, with, with your medical training and experience, um, if you were to get, I mean, you mentioned that you had, or maybe no, you said you had not, but personally I have been hit with urticating hairs multiple times and Mm -hmm. you see this a lot on uh, Facebook groups and stuff like that. There's always a post where somebody got some urticating hairs, you know, on their skin And it's very uncomfortable. They're itching, they're scratching. Sometimes it's burning and, you know, kind of blistering, Uh, you know, depending on the person there can be, and and I guess the tarantula, what type of of urticating hair it is, you know, because there's, I think there's six different types of setae, Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it'll have a different effect on your body, Uh, but there doesn't seem to be any real way to kind of treat it. You know, like, I mean, personally, I'm extremely sensitive to, to certain species and, I've tried everything from, uh, you know, wrapping the affected area in duct tape and peeling it off, hoping to kind of, like, pull some of the urticating hairs Mm -hmm. out of my skin. Um, I mean, I've gotten desperate. So, I mean, I've tried hot candle wax. I've tried uh, cool water. I've tried mustard. For some reason, someone suggested that. They didn't do anything but make my hands smell like mustard. Uh, I've tried vinegar. Um, Let's see. uh, Benadryl. Uh, all kinds of anti-itch creams, calamine lotions. I even have like a prescription anti-itch hydrocortisone cream. I've tried that. Um, you know, pretty much anything that anybody's ever suggested online. I've been in a situation at some point. You know, doing something stupid like scooping substrate out of an old enclosure that had like a T-Blondie in it or something, and just getting that hair in between my fingers and be like, ah, oh, that was dumb. Um, it, is is there any like kind of like a a medical treatment to urticating hairs or, or some way to kind of alleviate right. that allergic reaction if someone were to experience that
1: yeah so if you're having a, an actual allergic reaction to the, the hairs which you can have and people can actually go into anaphylactic shock from tarantula parts lodged in you um and and so then in that case you would treat with steroids and benadryl and all that but really it's probably still going to itch and it's probably still going to suck there's no other evidence-based uh, treatment modality. You kind of just have to treat the symptoms, unfortunately. I don't know. Has any of it worked for you? Uh,
0: the hydrocortisone, I, like the, I, I think it's hydrocortisone, a steroid. A steroid. I mean, a steroid okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that prescription stuff is um, that worked a little bit. Taking Benadryl usually helps helps me with the yeah. swelling. Um, maybe maybe some ibuprofen. I've tried uh, the the worst ones was um, the duct tape because I don't think that mm-hmm. actually pulled out any urticating hair; just pulled out my hair. So it was yeah. like, now it, it hurts doubly. Um, yeah. I've also, the hot candle wax, I don't know why. I thought that was a good idea. I guess maybe that, you know, you'd pour that on your hand and then uh, it would kind of like cool off. And then yeah. when you pull the wax off, it would pull the hairs out. Right, um, And that, that really, that didn't, it that had like, it actually felt good when I was pouring the hot candle wax on the air, uh-huh. you know, like that makes sense. That, yeah. that kind of relieved the, the initial itching uh, and pain. But as soon as it cooled and I pulled it off, it, it was, it was right back <laughs> and it was a right. very momentary relief.
1: Yeah. Uh, so if you think about it, what's happening is the, the hairs, the barbs are getting under your skin and your body's creating a local allergic reaction, a local uh, histamine release, and that causes severe itching. Um, and so the way to uh, treat it would be, You treat the symptoms by giving Benadryl, which blocks histamine, and steroids, which blocks inflammation. Unfortunately, that doesn't really solve the actual problem. It can't get the hairs out, but it just kind of treats the symptoms. So, And those have their own side effects. It's not necessarily always good to take steroids and that kind of thing. The main thing is if it gets in your eyes, that's when you really need to get to a, a specialist. Cause you're going to need yeah. eye drops and all kinds of things. That's the worst. No, <laughs> so and I would my- say the best thing is preventing it. If you can prevent it with gloves or some type of par- barrier protection is the best Damn. way.
0: Yeah. And there seems to be this, um, kind of like macho, uh, macho man uh, stands in the tarantula hobby. Like, Oh, I'm not scared of urticating hairs. Like they, they don't bother me. Um, and, and I think that's a, it's a, a I guess what I'm trying to say is like sometimes I get grief in the comments because I wear gloves or uh goggles or something like that or talk about, you know, wearing long sleeves and face protection and stuff like that, dealing with some species that are are a little more uh uh apt to hair you, I guess I could say. Um, but I I don't think that's a good kind of precedence to set. I think it's Im- important to, right. you know, really kind of take the the necessary precautions because they can be uh, very uncomfortable. And like you said, if, if it were to get into your eyes, nose or mouth, uh, you know, that, that can cause problems, you know, like right. you see pic- pictures of people, uh, putting tarantulas in their mouth, like new world tarantulas. Right. And I'm like, this is a really bad idea. If that, if that tarantula yeah. start kicking hairs inside of your mouth and those hairs that's are cool. getting in your throat. Like I would imagine, yeah, I couldn't imagine how uncomfortable yeah. that
1: would be. I mean, these tarantulas develop, they, they evolve this mechanism to prevent getting eaten, you know, from an animal that's hungry. So, they can, I mean, yeah, you know, they can mess someone up. Yeah.
0: Now, am I right in the understanding um, that you know, say you were to get some urticating hairs on your skin, you know, and those barbs are kind of, you know, like like you said, they they they're, they're shoved down in there and kind of trapped. Now, will the body just start dissolving that over time to get rid of it, or like how how do those urticating hairs finally get off? So on
1: your skin? over time, our body actually we shed our own skin, not like a tarantula molt, obviously, but we shed. Our- we shed our skin, and so over time, it slowly will just um, it'll get kind of pushed out, if you will. But it would probably take weeks, you know, to get the full thing yeah. out. So, yeah, and I think and it, it depends on how how deep it is, really, and how much hair, the the load of it, and how deep, and and so the longer the longer it's in your skin, or the the deeper it's in your skin, the probably the longer it's going to take to get out.
0: Yeah. I've noticed there's there's definitely um, a difference in the way my body reacts depending on the species, uh, like mm-hmm. Brachypelma bami, um, a theraphosa species. Uh, there, there's another one that really gets me. Which one was it? Oh, uh, Lasiodora paria bona and Acanthoscurria geniculata. Mm-hmm. Like like those species mm-hmm. are the ones I'm the most careful around because there may be other species that will affect me the same. But those are the ones that I've experienced, and I know I, I believe it was the bailey. Um, it was like two weeks I was dealing with itching, like the first three or four days were the worst, you know, especially the first couple of days. Cause I mean, it was, it was beyond itching. Like uh, there was welts on my fingers, on my hands, uh, kind of a rash and swelling and it was like hot and painful after that kind of subsided. It was just itchy. Uh, and, and, you know, I didn't want to scratch it, but it was just this constant itch for, you know, a couple of weeks and even the welts were still there. Uh, but then, you know, it slowly started to, the swelling went down and it wasn't itchy anymore. Uh, I kind of got through that and and really nothing was helping except for uh, taking Benadryl and ibuprofen and stuff like that. Um, right. You know, but I've had other species um, like like the, the Rosea. I, I know that it's haired me before. I've gotten some of its hairs on me, uh, some of the Gramistola species, uh, because I can feel the itch, but it's like 24 hours later, I don't feel it anymore. You know, it's right. a I know has a type three urticating hair. So they, they really got to rub them on you. They don't kick them. Um, right. and I, I have seen the avicularia rubbing its abdomen on me and I assume, okay, it's hair in me, but then I never have any kind of reaction to it. So it's, right. you know, and I know that that differs from people. I know some people who have been haired by a, a, a baby and had no adverse reaction to the hair at all. And
1: I think part of that is because it's our, it's our own body reacting to the hair. It's not like the hair is emitting some chemical, the hair is just irritating our, our body and our body's releasing different kinds of chemicals like histamine Everybody acts, reacts a little bit differently. Kind of like everyone's allergic to different types of things, you know, everyone's a little bit different.
0: Yeah. There's this, um, I, I don't want to say it's like an urban legend, but I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, but it gets tossed around a lot in the tarantula hobby, uh, where people are saying, um, you know, initially they weren't sensitive to urticating hairs. And after keeping tarantulas for a long time, they become more and more sensitive, uh, or, you know, yeah. is, is there any medical validity to that? Because like my experience has almost yeah. been the, the opposite, but I was like, there's, there's got to be some kind of, uh, you know, scientific explanation to, to whether or right. not people and become so, more yeah. sensitive over time or not.
1: Yeah. It it would actually make sense that you would become more sensitive. So with the first reaction, the first exposure, your body may not react to it. It doesn't recognize, recognize the urticating here on the second uh, exposure and subsequent exposures, your body then recognizes, "Hey, this is a foreign body in my in my skin. I need to get rid of it. I need to shoot out a bunch of chemicals, get some histamine to it, and we need to get it out of here." And so, it actually would make sense that you would get sensitized to different types of hair on subsequent exposures. Um, it may be that you know you've been exposed before and you never knew it, and then. And then when you were first exposed with your tarantulas, then you were already a, a, kind of allergic to it almost.
0: Yeah, that's, that's very possible. Um, and also I know that when I am exposed, I learn my lesson. So I'm a much more <laughs> careful with that species moving forward, right. <laughs> but that's true. So maybe that's, that's true what crazy. it is. Yeah. Like I was getting haired a lot early on and now I'm like really careful. So I just haven't experienced like, I, it's been a while. It's probably yeah. been maybe a year more since I've actually had to. Any issues with urticating hairs i think the last time oh, okay. was uh and then i had a close call when i was filming the therophosis termi um you know i, I had like a couple different cameras on it at the same time so you know my hands are you know not where they should be you know i guess if, if i was being extremely uh, cautious but i believe what I, I was doing a macro shot of the tarantula and had both hands on the front of the camera and was kind of moving it forward and then i see it through the like through the screen like i wasn't even looking at the tarantula but i saw it kick hairs oh. and I reacted like the only way I knew how I just fell backwards. I was like, I got to get my hands wow. out of this enclosure as quickly as possible. Just kind of fell backwards, yeah. set the camera down, closed the door, and then just left it alone for a few hours. I was like, I'm going to let those hairs yeah. kind of settle because you can, you can see that cloud, especially with a right. the large therophosis species. You can see it lingering in the air. So I was like, I'm just yeah. going to back away. It sounds like you've just, just
1: gotten good at avoiding it now, but I think there is validity to the fact that, that you would become more allergic to it as
0: time goes on. I gotcha. That's why I, I was kind of curious about Cause I know like other things you build, your body builds up a tolerance for. So it's like, you get exposed mm-hmm. once you have a, a serious reaction and then the more you do it, uh, you know, I guess my experience, I'm drawing off things like, um, of, like, uh, medicine, you know, like, like drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. You know, you, you take a painkiller and it works really well. Uh, and then, you know, the longer you're on it, the, the more of a tolerance, it kind of builds up in your system. So the more you got to kind of take to, to get that same level of, uh, pain relief. So I thought that type of logic would be applied to urticating hairs.
1: (laughs) So in theory, like the the way they do allergy shots, they take a little bit of what you're allergic to and they give it to you slowly over time. And in theory you do become tolerant to those allergens. But in this case, because you're getting large doses of the urticating hairs all at once, I think it, I think it's harder for your body to cope with it.
0: Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Um, you know, I, I was, I kind of touched on this earlier when we were talking with coyote, but I I wanted to get a little bit more in depth with you uh, while we we were just talking Um, just in case somebody's listening, you know, and they're taking care of their tarantulas or their scorpions and, you know, maybe they're feeding them or rehousing or something. They get tagged, Uh, especially if it's like by an old world uh, or, you know, just a very uh, hot scorpion. Um, Initially, like, is it like a snake bite? You can suck the venom out or is it as soon as it, it hits you? And that venom's already kind of having an effect on the tissues and getting into your bloodstream.
1: Right. And so according to what I've read, the studies that you can't really suck it out, but they say applying localized pressure can kind of um, stop the spread. But so what you want to mm-hmm. do initially. So first off um, always talk to your doctor, but first off, if you get bit, the first thing you want to do is to make sure that you can get the tarantula back to um, it's not going to tag you again. Let's make sure that it's not going to, hit you again, get away from the area. Um, and then you want to make sure that you're breathing. Okay. You're not, your lips aren't swelling, your tongue's not swelling, that kind of thing. If that's not happening, then you can kind of decipher, well, what, what did I get bit by? Is it something that's going to cause severe problems? Is it something just like a bracket palma that's maybe not going to cause severe problems? Um, if it is going to cause severe problems, you probably would want to talk to your doctor get to the hospital to to make sure that you can get iv fluids pain medicine the cramps don't get too severe that kind of thing um if it if it's a species where it's not going to really cause any problems i'd say you can probably wait it out um probably just stay hydrated and and do all that make sure you're not going to have any subsequent allergic reactions now if it's a a black widow or brown recluse um again make sure that you're not going to get tagged again Make sure you get out of the area. Make sure you're not having any anaphylactic reactions. And then, I don't think it's urgent that you would necessarily have to um, seek medical care immediately uh, unless you were going to have any severe um, symptoms. Just because they're not really going to be able to do anything other than and symptomatic treatment. Now, down the line, if you develop an infection or something like that, that is possible, and you may need antibiotics. Again, always talk to your doctor and and. Uh, seek appropriate medical
0: care. Okay. So, so say I got tagged, uh, first thing to do then would mm-hmm. apply pressure. So like a uh, compression straps or like ACE bandage or mm-hmm. something like that, kind of wrap that around the area to kind of construct yeah. the blood yeah. flow. Yeah, uh,
1: correct. I, I mean, uh, wash it off, make sure it's clean and then, and then, uh, apply pressure.
0: Okay. And as far as, uh, you know, say it's, you know, I, I don't know, I want to pick, a, pick on a species, but, but an old world tarantula bites me. Uh, mm-hmm. and I started experiencing the pain. I, I did the compression. I, I washed it off, all that kind of stuff. Uh, is there any, um, uh, like, can I take ibuprofen, uh, Benadryl or anything like that? Kind of like, uh, you know, relieve any of the symptoms or maybe like take the edge off at all, or is it pretty much, right. it, it's going to hurt and you're going to go through
1: it. Oftentimes they'll recommend ibuprofen or, or Tylenol or something like that. Um, allergic, if it's an allergic reaction, they might recommend Benadryl. Otherwise Benadryl won't do too much. So more just oh. Advil, Tylenol. As long as there are no other contraindications, no other, uh, you don't have any other personal medical problems that you can't take those medications for.
0: Uh, other than like maybe your throat tightening or kind of getting anaphylactic response. Uh, are there any other um, like levels of pain or swelling or anything that would be uh, kind of an indicator that all right, you you can't handle this on your own? You need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm.
1: I would say, you know, if you're having severe muscle spasms and, and rigidity, one of the things they can do is they can give you uh, IV magnesium and that can help relieve spasms. They can give you IV uh, calcium sometimes to replace your calcium because the venom causes a lot of electrolyte shifts in your body. And so sometimes replacing those electrolytes um, through the IV can help. That's one thing. Uh, Another thing is you want to make sure that you can uh, maintain your own hydration. And so if you're having severe muscle spasms or you can't even eat or drink anything like that, you probably would want to seek care so that you can, you know, stay hydrated.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, um, something that I've, I've always kind of I've wondered about, you know, I, I know that, you know, you go out hiking or something like that. You have a, a snake bite kit in case you like a rattler bites you or something like that. Uh, and mm-hmm. I've always wondered if maybe I should have something, you know, just for safety's sake down here in the basement, uh, you know, kind of like a kit put together in the rare, extremely rare, uh, circumstance, you know, uh, or situation where I might get bit or stung. Um, if you were to kind of put something like that together, uh, is there anything you would suggest including in a kit like that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, if you go by the, by the books that there's not a real evidence that any of those venom extractors work too much, any studies that I know of, but I also think that there's not a lot of harm to it. So it's something worth trying. Um, but other than that, just compression, probably having an ACE wrap, maybe a cooling pack and, um. Having some ibuprofen, Tylenol handy, that kind of thing would probably help.
0: I might do that. And Even though I never had any worries, uh, ibuprofen can be hard to come by at my house. It seems like everybody's (laughs) (laughs) going to take the last of it. Don't mention it's all gone until you need it. It's like, well, I got a headache and now I got to go to the store. So thank you for
1: that. (laughs) Maybe a little neosporin to put on there so that the the actual puncture wounds don't get infected.
0: So uh, have you ever, you know, working in the medical field, you know, being a doctor at a hospital, um, have you ever had anyone come in, uh, and had to treat like a brown recluse bite bite or a black widow bite or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So n- most of the time, a lot of, a lot of times people will complain of, I got bit by a spider and, and I always go through the questions about wh- whether or not they saw the spider, if they were able to capture it. And actually most of the time, 99% of the time, never. Um, so when, whenever they come in like that, you just, you just take a look at, and usually if you. A black, so a brown recluse bite will be um, a red patch or a red, a red flat area in the middle. There might be some pallor or whiteness, and then in the middle of that, there would be might be a little black necrotic area. If it's not infected, um, you don't really have to do too much. You just kind of treat it symptomatically, and um, and I'm sorry. What was your original question? question that I kind of went off tangent.
0: I was just wondering if you had ever, uh, had to, had to treat any kind of venomous bites in the hospital.
1: Oh. Yeah. So we have treated what people say might be venomous bites, but you know, most of the time they can actually never confirm. And so I would say personally, I've never had a confirmed case of a spider bite, black widow, or brown recluse, only people thinking they might have had the bites. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 I see that on Facebook all the time. So I was like, I got bit by a brown recluse. It's like, uh, you live in, canada or maine i seriously doubt there's yeah. a, a whole a huge population yeah. of brown recluse outside of their kind of uh, endemic area
1: a lot of times so you'll hear i mean every so many people complain of spider bites but by official medical terms it's never yeah. confirmed confirmed bite it's always a, a, a suspected bite and so we have treated a ton of suspected bites but they've right. never been confirmed And and the treatment is you know it could just be antibiotics or there's not a whole lot else to do pain control Right. And, and so there's no anti venom here. And, and so most of the time, you, it's nothing too big.
0: Now, in the uh, Tarantula Keeper's Guide, or the. I usually have it sitting right here. Uh, that, uh, that's what it's called the Tarantula Keeper's Guide. Is that right? Or the Tarantula Keeper's Handbook? whatever yeah. <laughs> Whatever that book is, mm-hmm. it, it actually has a section uh, where it's talking about uh, tarantula bites and stuff like that. And, and it suggests that if you were to get bit to capture the spider, um, you know, so if like uh, my P Metallica bit me, it's suggesting that I I capture it and take it with me to the hospital to show them like as a doctor, is is that a good idea or is that a bad idea? Um,
1: You know, in one sense, I I understand what they're saying because I feel like a lot of doctors aren't going to believe you. (laughs) And if I, you know, I got bitten by a a South Asian bird, spider, tree spider. They're going to be like, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be confused. And so they may take you more seriously, but on the other hand, you know you don't want to get tagged again. You don't want to capture it in the meantime. You know, get tagged twice. So if you can't yeah. easily get it, then then I would say leave it. But otherwise, yes, it might be able to help in terms of um, in terms of getting a game plan going and making sure that they don't look for other things. You know, they they you come in and say you got bit by a P. Metallica and they don't believe you, and then they start looking for other diagnoses. You don't want that right. either. So I understand what they're saying. So I would say as long as you can you can safely take it with you, it might help in the hospital.
0: Yeah, I figured that it, it would definitely prove to them that you're telling the truth. Like, hey, I've got it right here. This is what they right. You know. And you had mentioned that right. to be diagnosed as a spider bite, usually you, you want them to catch the black widow or the brown recluse to kind of do Correct. that. But it seemed like right, you know, right. we're talking about large uh, old world tarantulas. Mm-hmm. It, it can be difficult to catch them, especially if you've just been bitten mm-hmm. and you're by yourself. Um, right. But I was just wondering as, you know, from a doctor's perspective or somebody like that's in the medical profession, if I were to just like take a picture of it or show you like, you know, like my case uh, in particular, like if I was like, well, look, I have all of these tarantulas. Like you can believe that, you know, would, would that, would, would you believe that if I came in, you didn't know me from Adam and I showed you pictures on my phone of a whole bunch of tarantulas and like, this is the one that bit me. Or would you just think I was crazy?
1: (laughs) Honestly, I think it could go either way the thing is in the ER, we see all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's all, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so people are, people are, you know, there's some people that are genuine and some aren't. And so, uh, you know, if they come up with a really crazy story, you might, you might end up going on a tangent and thinking they're on drugs or something. So, you know, it might, it might help actually, as long as you can do it safely.
0: Yeah. I've always, I've always like kind of played that out in my mind, like especially during a rehousing or something, you know, like, if, if this goes sideways and I were to get bit, you know, the hospital is, like, less than a mile away. I can, like, almost go, you know, look at my backyard and see the hospital, you know? So, it's like, I can get there quick. Uh-huh. You know, I don't got to worry about that. But my biggest fear is actually interacting uh, with the medical staff, like, explaining to them how I got bit and why and by what, you know? Like, that just seems like… Uh-huh. Uh, a, a ridiculous conversation to have, and they're not going to believe me. And if they do believe me, then they're just going to think I'm an idiot. And I did this to myself yeah. and have like no sympathy or compassion. And maybe yeah. I don't deserve any, but you know, that's something that I worry about. Um,
1: yeah, I think I could see that going that way. In some cases, I, I feel like I'm biased just because I am aware of the, the hobby in the field. Um, and so I'm more likely to believe someone, especially if they were able to spit out all the scientific names and things like that. Um, but other people, yeah, they might need a little bit more convincing. I'd agree with that.
0: Now, is there like any, like, like say I were to get bit and I, and I went to the hospital and, you know, explained it, they, they, they believed me. They're treating me, uh, as far as like a a doctor, like, are you required to report that bite to local, like government agencies or law enforcement or anything like that? Like, is there, uh, is there a possibility I could get in trouble for, you know, being invenomated?
1: Uh no, 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 no. That, that that wouldn't be a concern about getting in trouble. There is we may call the um like the local toxicology poison control and they may advise on, on certain things, especially in the events of like snake bites and things like that. Um yeah. but it's not reported and you can't get in trouble off that. Yeah. You know?
0: I mean that's something I've always worried about. Um like I have I've, I've, I've done research into local laws and, and state laws and stuff like that. So like, I know I'm good there, but, you know, there's there's always that uh, that concern that if something were to happen and and I were to be envenomated, mm-hmm. uh, that there would be some kind of, like, mandatory reporting and then I'd have to be dealing with, um, I mean, who knows what government <laughs> organization that was to come in. So, I, I didn't know exactly where no. HIPAA, you know, privacy kind of laws and, and mandated reporting, like, where, right. you know, getting bit kind of fell in, in
1: there. Even if you had an illegal species or something like that, you got bit. I mean, no, I can't tell the, the patient is my priority, not the, the laws or the cops. So, yeah. you know, I gotta, I gotta make sure the patient's safe and no, I, I wouldn't worry about getting in trouble from that standpoint.
0: Interesting. Yeah. It's good to know. <laughs> Cause uh, I mean, maybe it's just uh, my personality, but I'm always like uh, hesitant. And I'm always hesitant to go to the doctor. Like that's, no matter what like my wife is constantly i tweeted about it the other day She's like i'm like yeah, i don't have been that. sick and she's like well, you may make your appointment with the doctor and i'm like no i don't want you to do that. i'm not dying she's like well you should go and get checked out i'm like i was just there like six months ago she's like maybe you should probably go back <laughs> just like yeah. Jesus. yeah so like i already no. kind of have that aversion to the to, to doctors for whatever reason uh and, and then uh, when you lay on top of it that you know, I've, I've done something st- stupid and have hurt myself and, and now something that I love could possibly be at risk. It's like, yeah, I definitely don't want to go to the hospital now. So it's, yeah, I appreciate you telling me that. Cause that kind of puts my mind at ease. Like I won't be as scared going to the doctor. Like, am I getting in trouble or something like that?
1: No, I, you know, I, you know, we always put the, at least we're trained to supposed to put the patients first and we do. I mean, I, I haven't seen any, any case that's has uh, been. Gotten in the patient
0: in trouble or anything like that. It's just kind of, it. it it's something that, that when you're keeping exotic pets, you just kind of got to be aware of, um, you know, that, that they are venomous and, and they're not aggressive. They're not going to, I mean, most, I guess I can't speak for all species, but when you're talking about tarantulas and scorpions for at least, uh, you know, and most snakes, um, maybe not venomous snakes. I shouldn't talk about stuff. I don't know. I'm not a huge snake person, but I will just stick with the inverts. I know that they're not going out of their way to hurt you unless you've really upset them or irritated them or right. invading their space. Um, you know, but, if you were to get uh someone were to get bit um is there any kind of like medical or scientific um what's the right word here uh benefits to documenting that like i know a lot of people like to document uh the the symptoms and how like at what time after the bite they kind of had these onset of symptoms to use in bite reports like arachnoports uh but is there anywhere you know, scientifically that, that is also looking for that kind of information that you could.
1: Yeah, uh, I think there, there are arachnologists who are looking for uh, case reports of bites and things like that, especially if you can verify it, if you can verify it, then um, I've seen a bunch of case reports on, on specific bites and, and then that would allow scientists to possibly develop um, treatments if, if we ever needed to, you know, in the future. Yeah, but I think that's more on the arachnology side, not necessarily the the medical side.
0: Yeah, I find it interesting uh, watching Coyote's videos um, that he hadn't been bit by a tarantula. Like I was, I was really searching, mm-hmm. searching hard on YouTube and Google. Like, there's got to be at least one. Uh, a lot of them where he's he's found them yeah. and he's handled them and stuff like that. But uh, never been bit, and you know, not having being not having been bit myself, I always in my mind especially with like uh, a Lossiodora Periabana or a uh, Goliath bird eaters and use the large terrestrial tarantulas. I am definitely a lot more afraid of the fangs than I am the venom. Yes. Cause I mean, those, those are yeah. some massive fangs. I just think they would hurt right. really bad and really yeah. tear into you. Yeah, um, Exactly. And now if, if you were to get bit by one of those, uh, like say my, my, uh, my T uh, Sturmy decided to, to take a chunk out of my finger and, and the venom isn't really doing anything that's causing me pain. But I just have a nasty. Is that considered a laceration, or what? I don't even know what the medical scientific yeah, term it would for a that puncture. would be. Yeah, a puncture. Yeah, puncture wound. Uh, what's yeah. what's the best way to kind of um, address that from a first aid stance?
1: You wash it out with soap and water. Uh, make sure it's real clean. Got to make sure your tetanus shot is up to date, just because that's always a concern with any um, any breakage of skin or any cut and uh and then and then after that just local wound care so i would uh, keep the area nice and clean with some neosporin wash it twice daily with soap and water uh keep it bandaged up and and nice and moist and a moist environment maybe keep it like moist with the neosporin ointment uh would facilitate wound healing and then if from there you get surrounding redness a fever swelling that kind of thing you might need to seek medical care because it could get infected
0: so it the fever and the swelling would kind of be the indications. That yeah.
1: Infection. Fever, swelling, uh, increasing pain, any okay. pus, purulent discharge. Gross.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope <laughs> I never have to experience that. Um, and I've also been curious, uh, you know, we, we know that venom affects people, uh, differently based on their health, you know, so like elderly people or, uh, young kids, uh, you know, children may, may have a, a, a more adverse effect or a reaction to the venom but is there anything like uh, a healthy young adult or maybe not healthy, but you know, like an adult um, is to get bit. Are there any kind of like um, health issues that would make them more susceptible to that venom being dangerous? Like, I mean, things like uh, the like diabetes or uh, autoimmune disorders, or uh, is is there any kind of like pre-existing conditions that would make you more vulnerable to the effects of venom?
1: Right. Um, There's, there's no studies on this, but you would assume that anyone with a liver or kidney problems would have a hard time getting that, that toxin out of them. And so I think especially kidney problems would, would have to be a little bit more careful and then things like diabetes. So diabetes impairs wound healing. Um, and so if you do get bit by a, you know, a large spider with, with big fangs, the wound healing may may be kind of difficult, especially if it were on the toes or, or extremities and that kind of thing. And so you'd want to pay attention to wound healing in, in, uh, in diabetics, especially. Um, but, um, other than that, if you're, you know, chronically ill, you are always going to be more susceptible just because your body has less reserves. Um, but there's no other like specific medical conditions that are cited in the textbooks that, uh, that put you at increased risk other than that.
0: So things like, um, uh, I, I just trying to extrapolate from what you were saying uh, like cirrhosis of the liver uh, hepatitis e mm-hmm. uh, would like HIV yeah. or cancer or anything like that make make you your immune system a lot yeah
1: those would put you more at risk for any like secondary infections like HIV, um, diabetes cancer because you're on chemotherapeutic agents that impair that can also impair wound healing those put you at risk yeah. for a secondary infection so after you get bit, you have bacteria on your skin that live there normally. The fangs puncture your skin and push the bacteria deeper into your tissues. The bacteria breeds in your tissues, and you get an infection. Um, so anything that can put your risk for infection in that case can be
0: problematic. And and do you have like any insight or information on exactly how venom like affects the body? You know, like I, I like I know a tarantula bites me. And it injects the venom, like the venom is is secreted from its fangs, and it goes into my body. But like once it's in my body, I don't really know what how the venom is reacting. Like, is it attacking my muscles and my skin? Is it getting in my blood? Like, I mean, how does? Yeah. What's do you? Are you familiar with the science behind that, or is that?
1: Yeah. So uh, you know, each spider is different, obviously. So um, we'll just take the, uh, for example, the uh, uh, regalis post postlateral regalis. It has. Um, it has some enzymes in there that break down your connective tissue. The connective tissue is the tissue around your cells. And then that allows the venom to kind of seep deeper into your cell and attack your cells. And specifically your, uh, it attacks the, the potassium sodium pumps in your cells and that can cause, uh, neurological problems. Um, and cause paralysis and cause death to the nerves and then muscles. And then you can't move. And, and that's why you get muscle cramps. Hmm. Um, so each spider is different though. And that's just one example. Um, other spiders might attack the uh, muscle cells like the, the brown recluse will actually cause the muscle cells or the skin cells to actually die. Um, and it doesn't attack the, the nerves as much.
0: So it's, it's more just kind of dissolving. Is it mm-hmm. kind of like uh, the assassin bugs? Like their venom just yeah. kind of dissolves mm-hmm. muscle and tissue and stuff like that. Right. turns it to a. Yeah. Um, a, l-
1: a lot of the venoms act on the sodium potassium channels in your cell and and cause the electrolytes to be imbalanced. And then that electrolyte imbalance causes your nerves to not function correctly.
0: So what causes the stiffness in joints, especially like long term, like the aching and mm-hmm. stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I think that a lot of the long-term things are are just related to chronic inflammation. Um, the muscle spasms are related to the venom acting on the nerves, and the nerves cause the muscles to fire um, all the time, and that causes them to cramp up. And then after that, your body's just kind of fighting the chronic inflammation. And the, the same thing that would make you kind of sick with the flu, all the, the inflammatory changes are... Are happening in your body to get rid of the flu it's kind of the same thing in this case there there's a lot of inflammation to get rid of the venom
0: yeah it, it, I, th- I always kind of thought it was it was cool that uh you know to keep these like i keep looking at my bark scorpions over here um because i i appreciated their venom toxicity and the like i, I knew it was painful but it wasn't really until i was uh rewatching a lot of coyotes videos that he uh, was talking about how he, he wouldn't get stung by a bark scorpion. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I, uh, I knew that when I was talking to him, like he got stung by the uh, giant hairy and the striped tail Mm. and he wasn't going to get stung, stung by the, um, the, the bark because it was so much more painful uh, and and potentially dangerous. Um, You know, but when I think of my scorpions, especially the bark scorpions, like even though I know they're the most uh, venomous scorpion in in the U S at least, uh, in my, I, I feel like maybe I don't give them the respect that they deserve when I'm interacting with them or feeding them. Um, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know why that is like, uh, to me, they're just, they're, they're cool little scorpions, you know, <laughs> they're just kind of running around hanging out.
1: People but, report, uh, over here, it's Brown recluse. Everyone says they got a Brown recluse, bite. everyone,
0: yeah. I don't, you know, <laughs> Yeah I had uh, a couple of friends, um, you know, back where I grew up, who were, you know, telling everybody they got bit by a brown recluse. Um, and the reality was they they had MRSA. And for whatever reason they were ashamed <laughs> yeah. to say I have MRSA. So they just said yeah. it was a brown recluse. I'm like, Man, that's not cool to brown recluses. <laughs> that's not cool to spiders in general. Yeah, it's one of the just,
1: differentials. The other one is uh other one is actually herpes. People get herpes outbreaks and they <laughs> <laughs> they blame it on spiders, but really it's just herpes.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I would think if 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 that were the case, I would tell people, yeah, I got a spider bit my lip. It's <laughs> not an STD. <laughs> well,
1: there's a herpes that you can get on your fingers, and so yeah, it's called herpetic whitlow, and and um and and so they blame it on spiders all the time, but really it's just just herpes.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Um, but yeah, with when, with scorpions, you know the the bark scorpion, it I'd I need to to probably be more mindful with uh and and appreciate or respect more, uh, give up their space, um because you know he his reaction to them uh, was a lot more hesitant and cautious than mine is interacting with them on a daily basis. Uh, but then on the other hand, there are other species that I have, like, uh, some of the Brazilian scorpions, um, that I'm extremely careful with, you know, tiny little guys, because I know that, you know, they can, mm-hmm. they can really cause a whole lot of pain. And, uh, for a while I had a death stalker scorpion and, uh, I don't remember if I ordered it or if somebody just sent it to me, like I placed an order and they threw it in. Oh. I, I'll have to go back and, and watch those videos to remember, uh, but I was, I was terrified. Same with like centipedes. Um, uh, and, and it's mm-hmm. one of those things that personally, I would rather not keep, uh, an exotic pet that I was that afraid of or worried about. Um, like, like the dust stalker mm-hmm. scorpion looks really cool, but I just, and it ended, ended up passing away. The one that it was sent to me, uh, had some health issues. I, I guess it was kept in, uh, a, an environment that was just too humid. So it did. Uh, oh. It had, you know it had developed some issues and and only lived for a few weeks after I got it. There was really not much I could do about it. I had reached out to a lot of people like, "Hey, this is the problem." They're like, "If it survives to the next molt, then you'll be okay. But if it if it doesn't molt, it's it's gonna die." Uh, and it ended up right. it ended up dying. Um, but I never replaced it. And a lot of people were asking me hey, do a video on the desk stalker. But uh, where I'm at right now, I'm not comfortable having something with that toxic venom in the house. Correct. Um, yeah. And, and I think that that's something that really we should really talk about a lot more in the in the hobby. Like right. if you're not comfortable keeping something, uh, you right. don't, <laughs> you know, it's not a right. badge of honor. Like right. uh, you're not any less of a keeper because you're, you know, you don't want to have a letharia. Like I feel like right. it, they're beautiful tarantulas and, you know, and like we discussed, they're, they're not going to go out of their way to harm you. Um, it really, right. Anytime you're going to get bit or stung by anything is when you're making a mistake or you're provoking them and kind of backing them into a corner. But right. you're going to make a lot more mistakes. I feel like personally, I just keep it on myself. I know I make a lot more mistakes, mistakes when I'm like really nervous and second guessing myself and, and just scared, you know, when your hands are shaking, uh, and, and you're uncomfortable, you're more likely to make, you're not going to be confident. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, and right. you know, that, that I don't know if the, the, maybe the trench looking, um, sense that fear, <laughs> or uh, you know, exactly how that works. But yeah, th- that's for me, I, I'm not going to keep a venomous uh, snake or spider or scorpion or anything uh, that I'm uncomfortable uh, interacting with to the point that, yeah. you know, I may make a mistake.
1: I was going to say the other thing to, you know, be cautious of is who else is in your house. If, I mean, if you're going to have, it can potentially escape and hurt someone in your house. It might, you know, you might want to rethink that. Might want to find a different home for that for yeah. that animal no matter what it is
0: yeah and that was like uh with the de- death stalker that i had uh, even though it wasn't doing really well and it was having a hard time moving around i mean from the moment mm-hmm. i unpacked it i still like doubled up its enclosure like i had it in an enclosure and then had that enclosure in something else and get in just like the rare uh chance that it somehow was able to escape it would then be in the de- <laughs> you know i was like i'm gonna be really careful right just because it was, I was nervous about it and I've got, you know, at the time I think Ryan was like, my son was 10 or somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my luck, it would escape and end <laughs> up stinging him or something like that and <laughs> step yeah. on it. Uh, and, yeah. and I, I just didn't want that guilt. Um, right. so that's kind of like been my mindset is if I'm afraid to the point that I'm going to double enclosure something, <laughs> to, you know, yeah. maybe I shouldn't, I shouldn't have that here. right? Um, Right. same with like the uh i had a black widow for a while um i think it was tanya over at fear not tarantulas threw one in on uh an order i'd placed years ago and, and it was kind of i was surprised and i think that i bought into a lot of the hype and misconceptions about black widow spiders and was and was like this is a deadly spider and my wife's like you can't have that in the house and i'm like well, yeah. why not <laughs> you know like mm-hmm. we have got all these other tarantulas and scorpions but that was one of her lines. She's like, no, you can't have that in the house. So I, I yeah. actually brought that to work and it was like on my desk <laughs> for a long time. My pet black widow <laughs> spider. Um, but you know, it's one of those things, the more I learned about it, uh, the less afraid of them I became, right. you know, cause it's yeah. like, okay, they're not nearly as, as dangerous as maybe the media or just, you know, just kind of per- the perception of them are. Um, right. Yeah. So it, I think that, you know, that can be said with a lot of different venomous species, but it, like for me if if it's something that i gotta i'm gonna keep out of the house or you know i'm afraid might kind of you know sting or bite my child and cause them some serious issues Mm -hmm. uh i just i'm not comfortable keeping them here i guess like it's not that important to add them to my collection and right i think that there should be no shame in that I i think that you know if somebody says i'm uncomfortable keeping an old world tarantula then then that's just how it is that. Okay. You're uncomfortable. That's not a problem. We're not going to shame you yeah. for it, you know? And maybe after, you know, you, you learn more and, and you become uh, more confident in keeping tarantulas you, over time, you'll possibly work up the experience and uh, the courage to to keep something like that. Uh, but I mean, have you kind of, I mean, what, what's your experience on, you know, keeping uh, old world trend. Like, I know you've got uh, a centipede um, and a, and a scorpion and stuff like that. Like, how do you base how hot or how potent of a, of a venom that your creatures have in your house?
1: Um, so, you know, I have, I have a bunch of kids at home and so definitely keep them all up in a a room that's locked and nobody else goes in there. And and so, uh, that's one of the ways we can prevent any, any issues from happening. And then anytime we need to rehouse anything, we're just extra cautious and, and take all Mm -hmm. the, uh, safety precautions don't really handle too much and, and that kind of thing. And I think, that's helped in staying safe, but I totally agree with you that, um, if you're not comfortable with keeping something, don't do it. If you can't, if you can't keep it safely, then don't do it. You know, you don't want to end up in the, in the hospital for no reason or end up even, you know, end up trying to, you know, get a kid stung or something like that. Yeah. You know, the people who are actually, um, susceptible to the bites and stings, you would especially want to keep them safe. I'd agree.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of having a lot of kids, you, you all just had a baby. Congratulations. How's uh, yeah, How's your baby you. doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's uh, two weeks old now, uh, just over two weeks. And so doing good. We're busy staying busy.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm assuming it's probably been about two weeks since you had a good night's sleep.
1: <laughs> sounds about right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I always find uh, it. I, I feel bad for people online uh, to kind of get back to what we were talking about. Uh, they'll have like an OBT or an hmac or mm-hmm. something like that. And, uh, I think as tarantula keepers or exotic pet keepers, sometimes we don't think about all the different ways, uh, something can escape. Like we've got in a good enclosure, it's locked up. We know it's, it's safe in there. Uh, we forget about the fact that we have a very curious cat that likes to push things off mm-hmm. shelves, you know? And then, uh, and it mm-hmm. seems to be that happens uh, more often than you would like to maybe admit that a cat pushes an enclosure off, uh, especially like spiraling or juvenile enclosures, and all of a sudden, you've got an old world baboon spider or something running through your house, and and people are freaking out. Like, how do I catch my OBT or uh, <laughs> yeah. Hmac is loose in my house? I'm scared to death. Um, you know, and it's like there's there's at this point there's not a whole lot you can do. <laughs> like you can look for you know good places that it would be hiding, um, but if I, I feel like prevention is is the the best right. kind of a way of, to avoid getting bitten by some of these spiders if if you have had, if you have cats or dogs or I mean, even snakes, if you let your snakes out, uh, kind of free roam through your tr- you know reptile room or whatever, you want to make sure that your enclosures are not just escape proof from the tarantula, but also uh, uh, tip over proof. I don't know if that's a, <laughs> an actual yeah. phrase, but yeah. it's secure. Yeah. You know, you, you've got it somewhere where, where you, you don't have to worry about it getting pushed up, uh, pushed off a shelf or something right. like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'd agree. I mean, prevention is the best because if you get bitten by an HMAC, yeah, you might not die. Uh, but you're going to feel pretty crappy for a few weeks. And there's, you know, honestly not a whole lot we can do at the hospital and give you pain medications, but you know, yeah. how long is that going to last? Right. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Especially these, like, nobody likes to give out pain medicine anymore. Cause yeah. it, it, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's destructive.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but I have uh like a lot of my scorpions. Um, I mean, a lot of them are very young, so they're small, but mm-hmm. and most of the ones that are, uh, you know, more hot than I'm, you know, maybe comfortable with keeping, uh, out in the open. I have, uh, in my spiderling nursery, uh, one, because it's just a, a warmer environment. So, you know, mm-hmm. they, they kind of, they benefit from that as well. But I also, it's a cat proof environment because we got, I guess maybe about six months ago or so we got a, uh, a new kitten and you know, we're, we, we had a cat for, I mean, as long as I can remember, And he does not, he likes the snakes. Like he'll maybe uh, crawl up on top of the snake enclosure and watch it slithering around. But as far as the tarantulas, uh, he has no interest in them at all. Has never jumped up Ah. on the shelves or messed with their enclosures or anything like that. Now this kitten, on the other hand, you know, it just, it's a cat. So it likes to like, you know, kind of jump up to the highest point in a room. So it can just kind of perch up there and and watch. Right. Gets curious when it sees things moving in enclosures. So I've, I've caught it more than once um, messing around with uh, tarantula enclosures. Uh, even had one instance yeah. where it had jumped up on a shelf, and when it jumped down, it kicked an enclosure. Uh, and that enclosure ended up falling on the ground and breaking, and, and the tarantula got out. Uh, I talked about that on the podcast before. So, you know, it's any any species that I have uh, that's old world or has hot venom, just because I have that cat, I have make sure that those enclosures are as secure as possible. You know, like I've, right. I've got them. Uh, and, and there's a lot of different ways. I've seen people. Uh, put straps around their shelves so that you know the enclosure can't can't fall off and um, uh, just you know different kind of rack systems and you just got to be creative. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing that's commercially made, right. I guess. But um, I did recently uh, rehouse my centipede. Like I, I've been wanting to make a video on the centipede for a while, and I, and it's not even like an, a really scary centipede. I think it's like the best beginner centipede out there. It's with the uh, uh, the tiger. Uh, what do they call it? The tiger, the desert centipede, Arizona desert centipede, tiger uh, centipede, uh-huh. something like that. You know, it's it's not uh, it, it's very common uh, spe- species out in Arizona, um, and I'm sure it would hurt if it were to bite me. But those right. things are like escape artists, from what I've heard. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's it's yeah, probably the only species in my collection that my wife is uh, very kind of upset about me having.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I heard. I mean, you know, ours was ours was just tiny because it was a. It's a baby. Um, what do they call them? Uh, what do they call baby centipedes? I forget.
0: I have no idea, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just a baby, so it's not that big of a deal. But the you know, like the bigger the bigger ones I hear are escape artists, and so I get a lot of questions about the enclosures. But um, I think they require like a lot taller
0: enclosures. Yeah, uh, I mean they they like yeah. to burrow. Like I like to keep mine. Yeah. Uh, you know they they're they're tricky because they, you know you need to give them like four or five inches of substrate. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so they can really burrow down, but you know, also I guess maybe just from an escape, uh, kind of uh, to avoid escapes because they're, they're pretty strong mm-hmm. and they can really stretch yeah. up, you know, it's, uh, yeah. you got to give them plenty of height. Uh, but even like, I mean, I, I've used aquariums, uh, to keep them mm-hmm. in before and they can actually climb up the silicone in the corner. If they, they, you know, they can sometimes kind of get a grip on that and use uh-huh. that to climb right up. So you gotta make yeah. sure you got a, a, a good lid on there. Uh, I, the, the one I have is, um, I, I don't know if it's a juvenile or what, what you would call it. It's not full grown. It's still kind of mm. small. Um, and I actually have it in uh, the, one of the large tarantula crib enclosures uh, oh, currently okay. um, just because I kind of want to try it out, um, see how mm. it would work. It's I got another uh, I'm like building another enclosure out of a large aquarium mm. for it. trying to make like this, because mm. I never see it, you know, it's I know they burrow a Brilliant. lot, but I thought maybe if I can create this like kind of a much larger environment, with a lot of, like, uh, kind of cover, like a whole bunch of uh, leaves on the ground and branches and cork bark and stuff like that, a more naturalistic kind of a that it might maybe come out more often and, and be moving around. Um, so I, as I'm setting that up, I uh, kind of put it in this tarantula cribs enclosure and have been keeping an eye on it because I was really curious how the sliding locking doors on your enclosures, uh, mm-hmm. how, you know, how the, the the centipede would react to that, if it would be able to open it right. or anything like that. Um, and in the first 24 hours, I guess I, I had a GoPro on it filming the entire time. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. if this guy can get out, I want to see it, uh, how it yeah. did, it. you know, cause I can't, from my mind, yeah. I can't figure out how it would. And, uh, it's right. been there for about a week now and it has not escaped. Like, it, uh, okay uh, I've seen it try, you know, it kind of goes up the, the side in the corner and I can see it trying to wedge, but I mean, between, I see. The magnets and the fact that they're kind of in those tracks, I don't think yeah. that it has the, it, it, it has, at least it hasn't figured it out yet, any way to open right. that up. So I'm feeling pretty yeah. secure about
1: that. Yeah, I have not tested out the enclosure with uh, with the centipede. So officially, my official answer is I'm not, I'm not sure. We'll see what, what you find. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll give it a few more days and then and move it into yeah. its, uh, its new enclosure. But so far it, it's, uh, it, it seems to be working really well. Um, yeah. But yeah. I mean, this is, uh, it was, was an interesting topic. I know a lot of people were very curious about it and I'm glad that you were willing to come on. And I think it's awesome that you were able to uh, get Coyote Peterson to agree to come on. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, I, was cool. I told a few people, I told like Alex from Tarantula Haven, um, oh. Amy from pet rock and roll. Um, and then I think like I mentioned it yesterday, I believe to, uh, like a Patreon members and stuff like that. Okay. And the, pretty much everybody's just kind of been like my kid. Like what? That's, there's no way you did that. <laughs> like, why in the yeah, world would he come on your podcast? That was pretty cool. Uh, random, kind of yeah. random, so random I, luck, I guess. I was like, well, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's all. <laughs> so did maybe you just, uh, I mean, do you mind telling us like how this all came about? Cause I'm sure people are curious. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. So my, my son's a big fan of uh, Coyote Peterson. And so I actually had, I reached out to him through the Cameo app. I don't know if you're familiar with it. They, you can like get celebrities or YouTubers to like say shout out and say happy birthday or something like that. So for my son's birthday, we did that, and so uh, I just reached out to him through there um, during that process, and he was totally cool with it, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, it, it shocked me. I remember when you mentioned it to me. We were, we had been talking about doing this uh, this podcast, just you and I talking about venom yeah, and stuff like uh, that. And uh, you were like, "Well, uh, how would you feel if uh, about maybe like scene of Coyote Peterson wanted to come on and, and talk <laughs> about his experiences? Like yeah, that that would be yeah. awesome." But there's no way in the world <laughs> one he would agree to do it, nor two we'd be able to even get a hold of him. Uh, right? And, and you're like, "Well, actually, I've, I've already talked to him." It's like, "Oh, well then, yes." <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. That was. Yeah. That was- neat for sure. I was I was definitely, definitely nervous, but it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't think I would be nervous to be honest. Like I wasn't really nervous at all yesterday thinking about it, talking uh-huh. about it. But um I don't know. Once once we started talking to him and having that conversation, uh it, it was just a surreal moment. Like, oh man, this is this guy knows yeah. what he's talking about. He's actually been out in the field yeah. and, and do these things and I really you know, I re- I respected the man's following. Like he is, he's really done uh-huh. uh, some impressive stuff just as far as like, I mean, right. j- even if you just look at the, the his YouTube videos, like the, 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 uh-huh. the production value is really good. Uh, he's got a good understanding uh-huh. of, uh, filmmaking. Um, I believe he even he went to, he, he graduated from a film, uh, he, went, he, yeah. he studied filmmaking in school. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm still, mm-hmm. my tongue is all tied up. Uh, you know, so like, I, I definitely respect that, uh, those aspects of, of mm-hmm. what he does. And how he was able to kind of transition from being a YouTuber to uh, like having shows on Animal Planet, you know, like that, right. that, that's a awesome. that's a, a cool transition to be able to go from uh, YouTube uh, yeah. video creator, you know, personality to uh, you know cable television. And and I mean, yeah. I wanted to ask him. Like I, uh, the one of the first times I ever saw him was uh, <laughs> he was on uh, Conan O'Brien. He brought a, a tarantula and uh-huh. a and stuff, and Jeff Goldblum sitting next to him on the couch. And I was like, man, that's Surreal to like be in between Colonel <laughs> O'Brien and Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I was going to bring that up, but I was like, yeah, I don't know if that would. I, I, I was like, I don't know if that's ta- that might be a tasteless thing to ask. What was it like to meet Jeff Goldblum? <laughs> I want to be a dork, but yeah, uh, that that's well, kind of how well, I was hey. introduced to him. I was like, who is this guy? And check yeah. out his YouTube channel. Like, oh wow, <laughs> this guy's got got going on. Uh, yeah. Well, but he, it, said,
1: he, he said he's happy to come back, so you can have yeah. him on again sometime.
0: Yeah, it would be a little less. I don't even know. if Nervous is just uh, intimidated. Uh, I don't know the right uh-huh. right word, but yeah, I was off my game. That's what I've kind of felt. Like. <laughs> just like, uh,
1: I felt the same way. Yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> I'm
0: going to blame my kid because he's the one that psyched me out. <laughs> like I was totally cool <laughs> until he is uh, just telling me how much how much better he likes Coyote Peterson than me. <laughs> Come on, you're my kid. Got to support me. (laughs) And just like, why don't you go out and do stuff like that? I would watch your YouTube channel if if you did if it was exciting and fun to watch like this. And I'm like, yeah, but I mean, he's 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 going out and showing you what happens when you get bit, Uh, you know, and and going out in the wild. Like I I am I'm doing the exact opposite. (laughs) I'm showing you kind of how not to get bit and how to take care of these things (laughs) in the safety of your own home. But it, 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 <laughs> I am excited because uh, I was talking to uh, Tanya at Fear Not Tarantulas. We, had a, we were talking the comments of a post on Facebook or something. And she had mentioned she was heading out to the Sonora Desert this summer. And I uh, oh. was going to do, I guess they did that a year or so ago. Um, and I was like, just jokingly, you know, I was like, oh, you should totally take me with you this time. She was <laughs> like, um, sure. Yeah, we can do that. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> going to the Sonoran <laughs> Desert. <laughs> So uh I'm kinda looking uh looking forward to going out and filming some videos yeah, cool. uh hunting centipedes and, and scorpions yeah. and tarantulas in the wild. And, yeah. Make sure to put that up. That'll get some views, I bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean I'm not gonna intentionally get bit or anything like that, but <laughs> yeah. I've tried that a few times in the past. Like when we were out in LA, uh we went out a few times uh and I just I had no luck. You know, it's uh but I think the difference between what I'm doing and and, and you know, especially what Coyote Peterson is doing. And you know, he's got days where he's out there. Like you mentioned, it, it took him a few mm. days to find those bullet ants. And, uh, I know from watching some of his videos on, in the Sonoran desert, they're out there, you know, it, it, for days looking for a tarantula hawk or a centipede or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, where I, I, I had like a few hours, <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna go out in the desert or on tarantula hill. I got like an hour or two and I don't find anything. It's like, okay, well, that's the video <laughs> me <Right>. walking through <laughs> not <Yeah>. finding anything. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. It, it'll be cool to like actually have two or three days or I don't even know how long we're going to be out there. Uh, but having like a good chunk of time where pretty much all we're doing is, is going out in the desert and looking yeah. for these species. And yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm pretty stoked about it. Um, yeah. And, uh, I hopefully I've learned enough from this podcast that I can avoid getting envenomated <laughs> by anything and, and know what to do. Uh, if, yeah. if that were to happen, um,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just take a little first, first aid pack should be good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling that it's probably m- more difficult to get bit by something in the wild than it is, you know, dealing, yeah. interacting with them in your own collection. Um, you know, cause they have got a lot more room right. to run and that's their environment. They right. know the places to go and hide and how they can escape from you where, mm-hmm. you know, we're keeping tarantulas and snakes and stuff like that. Um, you know, they, they don't have any really means of escape. They, you know, they, they go to right. defensive nature, um, a lot quicker, uh, and that's something that I've I've talked about in other videos, uh, you know, on my YouTube channel. Is you know, like like for instance, the OBT. A lot of people are like, that's a very aggressive, scary, dangerous spider, and uh, constantly showing uh, pictures and videos of their uh, OBT, like in a threat pose and slapping the ground and all this kind of stuff. Where mine is a, one of, my, I mean, I wouldn't handle it or anything like that, but I've never had an issue with it. Like, it's one of my more docile tarantulas because I have its enclosure set up in a way that has plenty right. of room, plenty of places to hide. So if mm-hmm. I'm disturbing it and, you know, instead of giving me a threat pose, it's got plenty of places to, to, you know, kind of dart right. into and hide. And, you know, yeah. it's a much safer way uh, of interacting with them than just kind of, and I'm not knocking anybody that keeps their enclosure, keeps their tarantulas like in a Tupperware bin with just like a hide and some substrate. Like a lot of people do that and have no problems, but I find when you give them a lot of decorations and places to mm-hmm. web up and stuff like that, a lot of hides more than just one, uh, they seem to be a lot more docile, and a lot less um, prone to give you a threat pose or try to slap or strike at you.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: But well, it's uh, it, we're, we're coming up on the two hour marks. So we have to wrap this up. Is there uh, anything you wanted to say before uh, we, we finish the podcast?
1: No, I, I just wanted to re I mean, I should reiterate to everyone that uh, in the case that you are bitten and all, and all that and seek medical advice. Don't just come to this podcast. I doubt anyone will, but um just need to make that known but yeah Yeah. definitely it was nice to be here and it was awesome to talk to you and coyote and thank you
0: oh thank you i i I really appreciate you uh kind of setting that up that was very generous of you and i'm very excited to get this podcast out there so everybody could see um and and i really appreciate your your medical opinions on these things like i know um that this isn't uh we're not diagnosing anything here, or telling anybody what to do. Uh, it is always best, like you said, to, to go get medical, seek medical attention if you were to you know, get bit and you're worried about it. Um, I am definitely not a professional of anything, so <laughs> don't, they'll never take my advice. Um, you know, I just try to share my experience and not tell people what to do. Uh, so yeah, if, if you get bit, definitely seek medical attention. If, if that, if that needs to be done, don't listen to what I say. Um, <laughs> but you definitely have a much more professional uh, insight into these things than I ever will. And it, it was, it was cool hearing some firsthand experience from coyote about, uh, you know, what he's gone through as far as envenomation. Uh, uh, Cause I, I don't like pain. Like I avoid pain yeah. at all costs. <laughs> so there's no way in the world I would, I would ever sub- subject myself to something like that. But I'm glad people like him are out there that can kind of yeah. document that information and, and show you. Cause I am curious yeah, sure. about it. And uh, if I were to get bit, now I have a, a better understanding as to what to expect and a lot of times knowing what to expect and how to react in a situation um is, is a lot better you know it, it, it's not going to hurt as bad and it's not going to be as dangerous or um uh, the the consequences i guess will be mitigated having that experience and knowledge up front you know as as opposed to just like Not knowing anything, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense. But at any rate, uh, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, you know, make sure that you, uh, follow me on, you know, whatever it could be, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, and leave a review because apparently that helps out a lot, kind of getting the word out about the podcast. Uh, A huge thanks to you, Doctor. I, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, And like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, you know, if you want to go and get some amazing tarantula enclosures, definitely check out tarantulacribs.com and use that code TCollective10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. Uh, I'm a huge fan of them, really enjoy them, and they're a huge supporter of the podcast and channel. So I just want to take a moment to thank you personally for that (laughs) right now. No Uh, problem. Thank you. Appreciate all your support and really enjoy those enclosures. I think it's very cool. Uh, but we'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. So thank you all for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.